Good afternoon everyone, how are you guys doing? What's going on? Welcome to episode 26 of Merchants of Novigrad, a podcast of certain frequency where we discuss everything went. Today with me, two amazing guests representing Team Bandit Gang, the recurring guest of Gwen Trivia and the host of War Room, The One Cristo, and one of the more prolific players representing Team Legacy, Dildbro93. What's going on guys? Hey, how you doing? Good morning. Thank you for having us. Before we get into it, as always, a couple of words uh, for our viewers. Guys, if you have any questions, you can post them in chat. If we spot some uh, interesting ones, we'll try to answer them as we go. Also, if you would like to stay in touch off stream, you can follow us on Twitter at Novigrad Podcast. And if you can't watch live for any reason, uh, this episode is going to be uploaded on YouTube, Spotify, and a couple of other platforms, either tonight or tomorrow. And with that being said, let's start the actual show. Let's start the first segment, which as always is, what have you been up to? So let's start with you, Tilbro. How are you feeling? What's going on? Yeah, I'm pretty good at the moment, Gwent-wise. Uh, I just qualified. I finished in the top 64 for the qualifications next uh, weekend, the top 64. Fingers crossed. Um, really happy about that. It's been something I've been working towards since um, last year, September when I joined Team Legacy. And yeah, we'll see how it goes. It'll be my first time, so I won't put too much pressure on myself, but I'm confident I can get a few wins under my belt. So uh, yeah, congrats for, for qualifying to the qualifiers. Yeah, it's, it's long-winded, isn't it? I qualified <laughs> for the qualifiers. <laughs> and um, what I actually wanted to ask about is, um, I know you are a streamer, but you haven't really streamed in a while. Has it affected no. your performance? On, well, on the it's, ladder? Had a, it's had a positive um, effect on my performance. Um, I found it really difficult to multitask between interacting with chat and tryharding. Uh, it's not so much of an issue at, at a lower MMR range because uh, opponents generally make more mistakes. But at a very high level, any slight mistake I make can cost me the game. So what would happen is I'd get annoyed, obviously. And it would make my streaming experience less enjoyable, not only for me, but maybe for viewers as well. And on top of that, I'd have to play off stream as well to recoup the um, MMI I lost. So it was a very conscious decision on my part to stop streaming for a period of time. And I think it's um, paid off for sure. So a follow-up question. When can we expect the next Tiltbro stream? Uh, next month, early March. I'm not planning to try hard next uh, month, so I have more time to, you know, um, entertain chat and not be as serious in regards to Gwent. Is that even possible? Not being serious about Gwent? We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Christo, uh, first and foremost, thanks for uh, making the time to be on the podcast because you are a busy man. Gwent trivia, I think there is another episode uh, later today. That's right. A war room casting various uh, various events, including the Cree versus Bandits tournament. How do you even find time for all these Gwent-related activities and cards-related activities? Um, man, how do I find time? It's 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 twofold, really. First off, I have a very loving and supportive fiance who doesn't mind me waking up at two thirty in the morning to cast a tournament. Um, so I appreciate having that support because it really does make a difference. <laughs> Um, I think the other side of things, I try and treat everything I do 
in a similar way to how I treat my career. So if I was at work and somebody came to me with a project and was like, hey, Chris, I've got this project for you and uh, I don't know exactly when it's due and I don't know exactly many details about it. Do you want to get involved? No, no, I don't. <laughs> but, um, you know, even this, this is a great example. This podcast, you know, Weisenberg, you approached me and said, hey, uh, this date, we are going to have Tilt Bro on, we're going to have some topics to send you and everything's nicely structured and organized so I can plan around that and plan my time. You know, doing the Gwent trivia stuff, doing the uh, the War Room for cards, a lot of it's with uh, 98.3 Media, and they do a phenomenal job of keeping things organized and, and set up. So I know exactly where I need to be at what time, and I don't have to spend time, too much time, outside of actually doing these events to prepare for them. Um... Do you do you work right now? Like, do you have a day job at the moment, or I do, I do. So I am I'm quite busy because I'm doing the nine to five and then streaming evenings and doing card trivia on the weekends and war room and stuff like that. And I assume you are working from home like everyone else. Yes, yeah. So that has been a huge help. Yeah, because you know commute time. You yeah. are uh, you live in Canada, and I know that the Canadian commute times are kind of insane compared to Europe. So um, how much time do you do you save a day, if I may it's, ask? Yeah, it's actually funny. So about, um, I guess a year and a half ago at this point, I changed jobs to something that was closer to home because my commute time previously would be anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, let's say. Um, my new role was, let's say, 15 to 20 minutes. So that was already a big change. And, you know, now that my morning commute is walking from my bedroom to my coffee maker to my office. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes a huge difference. But even being able to do stuff, you know, at lunchtime, for example, if I need to edit a video or if I need to do something on my lunch break, it's a lot easier because I'm already at home. I'm already on my PC. I uh, can, you know, get that out at lunch or, or right after work or something like that. So definitely adds the flexibility and allows me to be more um, efficient at what I do. Um, so... It's going to be the last question before we head into the main segment of the show. Um, can we actually expect more from you in the, in the upcoming weeks? Do you, do you think you are going to work less and do even more game-related content? Um, I, there, there is going to be some more announcements and new fun things coming up in the next couple of, of weeks. I'll put it that way. All right, uh, looking forward to it. A little teaser for you. <laughs> okay, guys, so as I said, the main segment of the show, I'm, I'm cutting the what have been up to short because there is just so many things to talk about in Gwent. So the next segment, what's happening Definitely. in Gwent? Uh, let's start with the less fortunate event, the hacking incident. What's your take on that, guys? Well, it came as a bit of a shock, to be honest, out of the blue. Um, and the way I um, learned about it was quite, um, what's the word, unceremonious. I was just on Twitter and I saw that they copy and pasted the um, the threat from the hackers. And yeah, I was just quite amazed, to be honest, that, um, you know, this is still happening. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what the repercussions were. I haven't been uh, following it up too much, but um, it's sort of quieting down the past few days. Yeah, I, it's funny too, because it was sort of the same reaction on my part. I saw it and was like, this still happens to like major yeah. organizations. Um, I was a little bit shocked. I was also shocked that the guy in the ransom letter wrote pwned, like it's not the 90s anymore, move on. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, since then, I, I read that the source code was sold somewhere for, I don't know, millions of dollars. I'm just, to your point, I'm not super familiar with how it's going to work or what happens no, or, you know, yeah. what can somebody actually do with that? Um, so I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah. I was initially also concerned about, you know, player data and GOG stuff. Like, is my credit card out there somewhere? Um, but that seems like it's not the case. Uh, with that being said, do you guys think it has or it will affect Gwent and the player base in any way? I don't think so, unless um, unless um, the player base is maybe paranoid and maybe they've had their um, data, um, what's the word, revealed. Maybe then they'll stop playing Gwent, but I think for the most part, people will still play play Gwent. I don't think they're particularly related unless there was a huge data leak and it was accessible to everyone. Um, I, I don't know of anyone who stopped playing Gwent, for example, because of this hack. No, I don't. I don't think it looks particularly good on on CDPR. I think they've had a rough couple of of months with you know everything going on with Cyberpunk, and then this happening, and you know some people within Gwent being upset about the patch being pushed another month and the short seasons and things like that. So I don't know that it in and of itself is a reason for people to stop or anything like that. But I think it's just another thing on top of you know, everything else that's kind of been going on that probably didn't help them very much. No. Yeah, exactly. I um, I did talk to a couple of CDPR employees in the recent weeks, and every single time uh, they get back to me um, at a later point and say, uh, sorry for getting for, for, for replying so late, but things are quite hectic right now, and I can I can see why. Mm-hmm. And what I can tell you, and I think it's it's a pu- it's public knowledge right now, uh, it did affect the balance, right? Viper, would you mm-hmm. mentor? It was not supposed to be in the live version of the game. Yay! <laughs> so, so to all the people uh, complaining about the card, it was an inc- it was an accident. It was a test ran by CDPR uh, balance team to see how we- how the card would perform at Adrenaline Three, and well, then the hacking incident happened, so they didn't have enough time to roll it back, and that's how we got um, the Osro on st- the bronze Osro. <laughs> In the game. So we can blame hackers for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think think it will go back to Adrenaline 2 during the next patch. I think it's safe to say. But speaking of this patch, 61 balance changes. What were your first impressions, guys? Uh, V, V, V. Yes. My first impressions. Uh, I was really um, relieved that they nerfed it. It um, polarized the meta to an extent where you had to have so many uh, texts for it or else you just lose. Um, yeah, I was really happy about that change. Um, I was happy about the lippy change as well. So that it's not as prominent now on ladder. And um, I think it was a double nerf, wasn't it? It was a nerf to the strength of lippy and a nerf to his provisions. Yeah. And that has helped um, calm lippy down which is really um, beneficial to some decks, especially on blue coin. It just makes ladder less polarized, where you don't have to worry about getting a specific coin as much. And that's only a good thing. We are going to talk about V and Lippy a little bit later. As as you can imagine, these are um, relevant points to discuss during the show. So um, other other than Lippy and V, um, you know, 61 changes, that seems like a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's funny. It's funny because you mentioned it now, and I'm like, 
all I was thinking about at the time was V and Lippy, and I was actually also hoping that Colgrim would get one provision buff so that mm. people could stop renewing him, but that seems to have gone away too, so um, I, I guess that's fine. It was interesting, because yeah, looking over it, I also remember seeing Maddox getting a bunch of bomb help, which I wasn't entirely sure he needed, um, so I thought that was interesting as well, but... There's obviously a lot of smaller balance changes that occur that I think in the grand scheme of things, people try out for a little bit like, you know, oh, Olaf, okay, great. Let me play Olaf for a day and then realize, yeah, this is probably still not good and then stop playing it. Exactly. I, um, you know, I don't want to sound negative, but uh, my, my first impression upon seeing the patch notes was this is an example of quantity over quality. Yep. Because, uh, as we were just saying, the first things that sprang to our mind were V and Lippy, and after that I was scratching my head thinking, what else was there in terms of yeah. changes? Yeah, a lot of them seemed, especially towards Syndicate, a lot of them seem irrelevant, to be honest. Even the Louisa buff. Um, I think they could actually revert Louisa to her um, original form, and she still wouldn't be overpowered, when you consider that there are cards like um, Hayen Kaduk in mm -hmm. Skellige, which just play way beyond their provisions, even with the nerf. Especially if you accompany it with the second Bear Witcher, it still has a really high ceiling. Um, so I don't think um, they had to stop there for the buff. They could have just gone to the original form for sure. You said you don't remember exactly what was in the patch. Luckily for you, I yeah. noted it all down. <laughs> So uh, we are going to discuss the changes in detail, and I would actually like to start with the lock cards, because most of them now break even on deploy, which was not the case before the patch. Do you think that these small power or provision buffs will make them an appealing alternative and a tech option in the right meta? Definitely. I have seen them quite often in Skytail, in um, Northern Realms. Even the um, neutral one as well. I... Uh, they've had a effect on the meta, and they're also very prevalent at the moment because of Keldar, because of um, Colgrim, because of Kelly. They find a lot of use in this current meta for sure. And I actually really like the approach they took to the lock cards because what I find a lot of times is when you see something that's strong, you end up nerfing it. And I think in this scenario, they looked and said, okay, a lot of people are playing Nilfgaard. A lot of people are playing a ton of locks, a ton of lockdown. Instead of just maybe tweaking the power of those cards, let's bring everybody else's lock up to the same level. And maybe not quite the same level because of the volume they have, but the same power level so that, you know, everybody has options and you don't need to play Nilfgaard if you want to have strong lock cards. So I like the approach they took to, to this kind of modification. Yeah. But sure. I, what I also like is that now you are basically playing the same value as the engine you're locking. Mm -hmm. Because most of the times engines either break even on deploy or on the turn end, and then you would play a log that's one point less. Yeah. So it, it, it didn't really feel right. So and, and I guess that was the reason why most people still prefer to run removal. To basically, mm -hmm. uh, you know, play tit for tat and create a state of the board where it's zero points on both sides. But now now yep. with the locks, basically you play a four, that's an engine, that's being locked, I play a four, equal ground. Yeah. And you guys you guys were um, already uh, saying a few things about the bombs. Um, so I, I, I wanna sp spend a couple of minutes uh, on this topic. Do you think it was necessary to buff them? 
at this particular point. <laughs> Madoc was already seeing a good amount of play, but in retrospect, I don't think changing the bombs has made Madoc more prevalent either. I think he runs a little bit more variety now, like you see Red Haze included a little bit. Um, but for the most part, I don't think it made a huge difference. I wasn't expecting it. I don't think he needed it. But looking back at it, I don't think it was a problem either. So I, I think I'm fine with it. Yeah, for sure. I think overall, a lot of the bombs needed a buff anyway. Yeah. Uh, and what's good is that it hasn't made Madoc overpowered, even double Madoc, um, because they have very easy counters, Heatwave, uh, Squirrel, even Regis um, Bloodlust, I think his name is. Uh, he damages by four, and if there's a death blow, he um, banishes. So you, you have plenty of text for those sort of cards. Um, you also have faction-specific cards that that tech well against Madoc, like Amnesty, um, mm. Invo, uh, Enslave. Yeah, there are plenty of options. Yeah. Um, and if you answer, if you're facing double Madoc and you answer the first one with Heatwave, that's their whole game plan annihilated. So yeah. exactly, I think it's. It's fairly balanced, in my opinion. But I, I, I just remember... I, I, um, I formulate this question in this specific way because I remember watching the dev stream and the first reaction of chat being, what the hell, guys? We did not need more bombs to play with Madoc. <laughs> because at that, point, at that particular point, Madoc was especially popular in Precision Strike, and that's not yeah. a fun deck to queue into. Especially think... if you are going first. Yeah. I think people often confuse unfun with overpowered, to be honest, yeah, as that, we know that's with correct. Nilfgaard. Absolutely, mm. I agree with you. So my only thing to that, and I, I agree, I think people confuse overpowered with just feeling bad or being a bad experience, but I, I always try and put myself in the shoes of a newer player. A lot of the guys on Bandit Gang now, some of them you know, haven't been in love with the game as much as they had been in the past. So they would create Smurf accounts and try and do fun things. Uh, Mercern was trying to get to pro using Nilfgaard, but not crafting any cards, only opening kegs when he got rewards, stuff like that. And he's saying he's facing no unit precision strike at rank 20 or, you know, via rank 20. Like that is not a good experience for a new player. And that's what always, you know, I look at when I think of lockdown, when I think of precision strike, no unit, stuff like that. Like, what is that experience for a newer player? And do they want to keep playing when stuff like that happens? Yeah, it's a valid point. Absolutely. And um, what you have to remember about is it's a very, very difficult situation for the devs. Because <laughs> if you are part of the balance team, are you going to balance the existing carpool around uh, the top 1%, the competitive scene, or are you going to balance uh, around the vast majority of players who happen to play more casually. And for and when I look at this patch specifically, I think when it comes to competitive balance, it's an amazing patch. It fixed the uh, most obvious problems. It didn't over-nerf um, specific archetypes uh, that were prevalent on the ladder. But when I look at it from the perspective of a more casual player, it didn't really address most of the issues. Yeah, I think it's so hard. I do not envy the balance team. I do not envy card game devs in general. It is so difficult to balance it because you also have to think of it from a business perspective. I need to attract new players. I need to have a strong competitive scene. I also need to look at where I make my money. Are those casual players who are buying Journey every season but not playing that much bringing in more revenue than maybe some of the pro players who have been around since beta and have all the resources. So like, who am I trying to keep happy in this equation? I, I think it's a very, very difficult 
um, trying to mindset to get to get into to try and balance this game. Exactly, and and I I think that's why uh, the morale of the uh, developer team has been a little bit down lately because. I think they did a good job on this patch when it comes to the competitive balance, as I already said. But then they read all these negative comments on Reddit, Twitter, other social media, and I think that that really was a downer. Yeah, and it's a shame because of the hack also, because for most people the takeaway was that the Viper Witcher Mentor was buffed. Yeah. Um, and that card is um, really prevalent, really toxic on ladder. Yeah. So yeah, they did do a good job for sure overall, but it's just a real shame that the hack um, spoiled things. I can tell you how how perceived Viper Witcher Mentor is um, using the example of my own stream. Uh, a couple of days ago, I decided to make a meme deck with Viper Witcher Mentor. No, no lockdown, no clogging, no cold grim. Just Viper Witcher Mentors to spot to spam, just spam them <laughs> as much as I could to see if you know you can basically win using these bronzes. You you really can't. I can already tell you that. But in the, I was playing that for a couple of hours. I lost a heck ton of followers and I got quite a few nasty messages telling wow. me I am a trash human being for playing Viper with your mentor. Oh. And I'm, I know I'm not the only one because uh, a couple of days later it was posted on Reddit that another streamer essentially got threatened by his viewers in DMs and not only for playing wow. Colgrim. No way. Some people are just so pathetic, honestly. <laughs> Imagine being that angry about a video game. That you want to uh, harass somebody I else know. because you're angry. Yeah. Threaten their family, threaten their life. It's yeah, just... and, and that's why you essentially never accept uh, friends requests from, from people you don't know. Mm. Which is sad because not too long ago I had a game uh, where like, my, my hand was basically trash. I, I couldn't have won. Like No way. I had like one unit and that's it. And my opponent was playing also a special heavy deck and he had three more cards than I did. I was playing some sort of memes for uh, for the purpose of the journey quests. So uh, the, the I, I couldn't play anything so basically no cards at all and I just saw him discarding his cards and all I wanted to ask is dude, did you just do it to allow me to draw? To give me, you know, the, the journey progression? To give me the crowns? Or, did, or you didn't just draw any units? I just wanted to ask a simple question yeah. because I was amazed that somebody who has three more cards than I am decides to draw or just draws in, in a more reasonable fashion. I just wanted to ask, what's the reason? And I couldn't because the guy obviously didn't accept my friend's request because he probably th thought I was just some sort of trash person going to, going to say all kinds of nasty things. Yeah, but it's it's so true. It was funny actually on my last stream as well. I had somebody who mispositioned a card and that ended up causing a draw instead of me losing the game. And the chat was saying the same thing. Go send him a friend request. Ask him if he did it intentionally to cause a draw. And I was like, okay. But yeah, there's no chance anybody accepts you. I mean, I, I come from playing Hearthstone. And if you accept a friend request, all people do is talk about your mom. So you yeah, stop exactly. doing that. <laughs> but I, I started... Experience. Yeah. So I started playing cards recently. Um, and I was I was really confused because I was playing a game and I, I won the game and then somebody sent me a friend request and I was like, ha, ah, I know this trick. I am not <laughs> accepting you. And I, I was chatting with other people within the game and they're like, no, no, people just think you're a good player and send you a friend requ like request because they want to chat. And I was like, Sweet. excuse me, what? <laughs> okay. Imagine being that naive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah, exactly. actually true because I, uh, I played cards 
back in 2020. I did a couple of co-ops with Hesser, and the devs were friendly enough to send us uh, some packs and, and draft tickets to give away during during uh, the streams. And I remember people just, you know, the community is small and everyone is extremely yeah. friendly. Everyone wants the game to succeed, which reminds me of how Gwent used to be back in close beta. But, you know, as, as the game matures, as the game grows, uh, it, it's, if, if it's cards yeah. is going to follow the same pattern as Gwen and Hearthstone and Magic, yeah, at some point people are going to stop sending you friends, friends requests because <laughs> they, they, they know how it's perceived. Yeah, that's, that's it. As, as a game grows, things change, right? The community gets bigger and, you know, you always have a very small percentage of the community that are toxic or negative, but the bigger the community gets, that percentage represents more and more people nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Um, which actually brings me to another topic. We, we are basically straying away from the list of questions I prepared, <laughs> but we, we are going to get back to it. Um, recently, I tweeted that I enjoy Gwen this season. I didn't really think much of it. Okay. I thought, I thought you know, I, I'm having fun. Okay, I'm, I'm a filthy enough guardian. I made an enslaved deck that's super control heavy, that basically has a 100% win rate against Colgrim. And a really good win rate against Lippy because I have Amnesties, I have uh, hmm. Invo, I have Enslaved, so I can basically steal all the carryover from Lippy, and and I can you know lock or kill or banish or do whatever I want with Colgrim. So uh, I tweet about that. I, I just said you know I really enjoyed playing with the, this season. I made a deck instead of whining. I I adapted. I made a good deck, and I like the journey. That's it. I just tweeted that. Didn't think much of it. Uh, it got yeah. quite a few uh, likes, and then. Couple of days later, I got a message from Jason Slama saying that the tweet was really good for the morale, and he thanked me for tweeting that. Awesome! I was like, "Wow, right. I didn't expect this. Like, things must be really, really dire right now." If mm. an honest but somehow unpopular opinion is having this kind of impact on the on the team, I mean, sometimes we forget as people um, to also state what's positive, what's good about a game, rather than just fixate on. The negative aspects and just talk about those aspects especially on social media so it is it's definitely good to balance it out and if you think something's positive just say it mm -hmm. but yeah as human beings we have a tendency to just focus on the negative and be vocal about those negative aspects oh yes but yeah exactly and you know it's always the vocal minority yeah like gwen, gwen has thousands of players right now especially after launching on mobile after uh uh releasing the journeys that the player base has exploded is is how I perceive it. So I think that the vast majority of these players are happy with the game, but they are not so fixated on on you know posting about that on Reddit. Or yeah, Twitter. can you imagine going on Reddit and saying I like this game? That's right all. now, That's my right now I wouldn't do that. <laughs> it's 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 not. I mean, if you if you care about your karma, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's 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 such a valid point, right? Because and I, I think that you gather the internet together and as a whole, so much of it can be negative, but you know, there, there are positive aspects to everything. Just, you know, as we're saying, a lot of people don't come out and just say, yeah, this is great. I am happy now. Nobody says that they go online to bitch and complain about things that they, you know, feel is unjust or, or whatever the case may be. Because if you do state that, it sounds sarcastic, doesn't it? <laughs> in, or yeah. who's this kid that's who just wants yeah, exactly. to send him happy messages? Uh, yeah. Right after the patch, I saw so many posts where I thought, okay, this guy is genuinely happy about the game. And then, you know, the, the next the next few lines, okay, he was just joking. He was just being sarcastic. I, I just don't understand what 
why you would put your energy into going through all of this trouble to just write that you're upset about a video game. Like you were saying before, Tilt, like, why would you send somebody an angry mess? Like, just, just move on with life. There are other things out there that are a lot more important in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, unless you provide constructed criticism. Yes. Like, if you say this is bad and this is why it's bad and how it could be fixed potentially, I think that's okay. I think that's solid input from the community. And mm -hmm. we, we see a lot of threads like that also often getting downvoted on Reddit. Because nobody wants to see solutions, everyone just wants to whine. <laughs> you just, yeah, and people like to piggyback on that, right? It's really easy to respond to that comment and just say, yeah, screw them, as opposed to actually, again, putting in something constructive. Yeah. So it's easy for that to snowball. Um, but know, is, isn't it one of the most prominent traces of humanity? Because if you look at all the nations in the world, everyone is saying our national sport is whining. <laughs> the English are saying that, the Dutch are saying that, the French are saying that. Everyone thinks they are unique in that regard. They just whine a lot. But I think it's just a very human thing. It is, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a human thing to want, you know, the best for yourself or, or whatever it is you're doing. but. To your point, you know, Weisenberg coming up with creative ways or constructive criticism that allow you to get there is the important part. Absolutely. Um, okay, guys, moving on, because as I said, we, we, we strayed away from our paths. <laughs> uh, next question on my list is, um, there is a couple of significant changes. Xavier Lemons got reworked. Uh, I think adding Zeal to uh, Yencon is a significant change. What do you guys think about these cards? Or cards like that? Cards that, you know, did get reworked? Or just, you know, the change is significant enough to guarantee some playtime? I mean, for sure, they are smart reworks, but they're not impactful in any way, shape, or form on the current meta. I mean, Xavier would be good for Lippy, but no one's playing Lippy anymore, at least in pro rank. So I don't think I've seen that card once this meta. Yeah, I wanted to say, if and... you go to rank four to one, half of yep. the decks you are going to see on a bad day is going to be Lippy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, go on. Sorry, I, I, sorry I interrupted. Uh, no, no, it, 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 no, it is important to um, state uh, what level you're playing at, because if I say that, Oh, I don't see um, Lippy at all. People are going to think I'm weird if they are in rank three, rank four. So yeah, it is important to state that. In regards to Yennefer, I think she could be decent in a maybe a Revs deck or Precision Strike, but it just requires a lot of work, doesn't it, to make her um, efficient? Yeah, I, I think that a lot of times too, when that's in a very control-heavy deck, it's a little bit counterproductive. Yeah. If you're removing things with like Curse of Corruption and stuff, pinging the tallest unit doesn't really help you that much. And that also assumes that she stays on the board and survives. I think from a, a an ability and provision perspective, I think the card makes sense. I think from a deck archetype perspective, it's hard to fit her in. Um, and I think for Lemons, I, I like the change. I still... And, and the logic behind it was sound as well, right? That he's really good, his old form was really good against something like Lippy and really useless otherwise. But even now, great, you've got Zeal, so you can remove one thing from Lippy, you can remove somebody's Egern to make Osral worse, but he really still doesn't see a lot of value. Maybe removing a Rebuke so your Forest Protector's worse. Like, there, there are some hinge benefits, or some fringe benefits, where he could work well but you know i think as the meta continues to progress as new cards come out and new abilities come out you know we might see him down the line 
but for yeah. the most part, Skrill does the job at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, one thing that you missed, Chris, is uh, Echo Cards. Right. That's a valid point, actually, because there are Echo Cards in almost every deck at this point. Yeah, on Neuromancy is probably the either the second most popular neutral now or the most popular neutral i'm not sure if it's uh, if it's on neuromancy or or uh heatwave right now and actually if you look at all the uh all the um beginner guides everyone says these are the two cards you have to craft from you know from the beginning because they are going to see a lot of value down the line mm. and that makes perfect sense right mm. you know especially when you're starting out maybe you don't have the uh, evolving card and that's in some factions the only real reason to play devotion so you know having onaromancy you can slap that into any beginners deck and make the deck infinitely better so yeah i i don't know maybe just because to your point tilt squirrel is an option so do you want to spend the i don't even know how many provisions lemons is like eight or something uh i think it's six or seven six. now it's not so bad actually the point was it used but to be eight you prefer to use those provisions elsewhere um, yeah exactly a four for four yeah. does the job then Hmm. You need a six for six. Yeah. Uh, all right. And that brings me to the topic that everyone wanted to discuss a couple of weeks ago, which is your take on V's nerf. I am so happy. <laughs> <laughs> from, from my perspective, and, and this is just my opinion, and I had been playing a lot of Gwent up until the end of the year, and when the expansion came out, I was like, eh... I don't know how I feel about this. And and I think V was one of the reasons why. It just was a very frustrating experience. So you compound that with then Lippy. And then V changes the meta so that Lockdown is super prevalent because it's a good answer to it. And now all of a sudden you have a really frustrating meta. So I took some time away from the game for like the last two weeks of last season. The patch came out. I was very happy about it. And started playing the season and feel really good. Because this is just one less pain in the butt that you don't have to deal with. So I'm happy about it. I don't care if they nerfed it into the ground. I don't care if it never gets played again. I am totally fine with that. Yeah, it was it was very welcome for sure. I just find it a shame that it's nerfed to the ground in a way. It feels sort of lazy. I would have preferred for it to maybe have a new ability so that you can fit it in uh, Deathwish deck. But it's such a binary card, isn't it? You have to devote your entire deck to make Um, F. Did we lose still, bro? Yeah, I th yeah, I I think we lost him. But to play off of his point, while we wait for him to reconnect, um, <laughs> that's the thing. You have to build your entire deck around it, and if it gets removed, which is still a possibility, it kind of hurts. Work otherwise, but... it's just um, you know, ah. hello. Uh, you're back. Ish. Okay, sorry about that, guys. French uh, internet. Did you hear what I was saying, or no? no. I was ranting there. I'm AJ. Yeah, we missed the whole <laughs> thing. Yeah, again. It, okay, it, it was just Jason muting you in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I was saying is that it's a shame that um, V was nerfed to Oblivion in a way because now it's unplayable, and it, it was such a binary card that you had to devote an entire deck to it. So I would have liked for their for its ability to be changed so that you can include it in a Deathwish deck. Um, it's, it's a shame that you have an expansion, this new card comes out, and then a month down the road, uh, you can't play it anymore. I find it to be a bit of a shame, to be honest. I'm, I'm hoping that they 
you know, over time rework it or find a way to kind of work it back in. And maybe they realized they over nerfed it. And between that and overwhelming hunger, it became too difficult to include it. They rework it a little bit. So I'm still optimistic that down the line, we can still see, um, you know, a little bit of buff, but we'll have mm -hmm. to kind of wait and see, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the reason behind this kind of nerf was um, the community was simply fed up with it after two yeah. months. Because when the expansion first dropped, everyone was excited and, you know, okay, V was seen as a problem from the get-go, but you also had all kinds of other decks that people enjoy playing. So, okay, if every now and then you are gonna uh, queue into, into, into V, that's fine. But then everyone was saying, okay, it, it's just getting hotfixed. Just wait a week or two. That didn't yeah. happen. Then people said... All right, it's just two more weeks. We're gonna get the patch. It's gonna be fine. That didn't happen. So I think in the second month, uh, people were just so unhappy with the state of the game and with V being so prevalent that everyone kind of wanted the card to be gone. I think I, I I think to your point as well. We can then let's put this away for a month or two and let people get a break from it. And then yeah, maybe we rework it down the line, give it a little bit of a buff or tweak it. But I think, I think Weisenberg, you're absolutely spot on. People were so fed up of seeing it and fed up of seeing it every second game for pretty much two months that it, it needed to go away a little bit because I think if they made a mistake and they under nerfed that card, I think people would have lost it. But I also agree with, uh, with Dumbro <laughs> saying that the nerf was not very creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I had an idea where you could simply cap. Um, the number of times V would strengthen itself. So for example, uh, you lower its, its power by one or two, and then you know the first time it's consumed, you strengthen by four, then by three, then by two, then by one. And then after you know four or five times, you can still consume it and boost yeah. your, 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 your death, your um, consuming cards, but it's not gonna strengthen. So you are gonna take a bunch of points away from the card, but it's still gonna play in a, in a reasonable way. Whereas now, I don't think Lip I don't think V is going to see a lot of play. It was just a few really interesting nerf ideas out there or change ideas out there as well. I saw one that basically said, you know, when V dies, or it only works when V is consumed. So it would mm -hmm. no longer work with the overwhelming hunger leader exactly. ability, which I yeah. liked because I think I like part it. of the problem with the card is if you can't get a consume on board, well, you always have your leader to fall back on. That automatically gets you three charges, which may have been you know, a little bit too much. So I, I liked that idea. I thought that, you know, if you take away the leader power into it, make it consume the unit. Again, it creates a little bit even more of that binary interaction where you absolutely need your consumes to survive, but that gives your opponent a little bit more of an out to, um, to actually win that game. And speaking of overwhelming hunger, do you guys think it was just collateral? I or, personally. Or, or, was, or was the nerve just long overdue? Um, well, when, when you say long overdue, it sort of, um, what's the word? It suggests that it's not relevant anymore as a nerf. Because prior to V, I don't think overwhelming hunger was that um, prevalent, at least in pro rank. So I am surprised to see it nerfed now when it's not really being played anymore outside of V. I felt that they could have started with V as a nerf and then see how overwhelming hunger developed as a leader without V and then probably nerf it from there. I just felt that recently, apart from V, it wasn't doing anything harmful in the meta. And on top of that, it didn't really buff uh, the other leaders. So it just felt a bit awkward and a bit um, unnecessary for me. 
Yeah, I think because they grouped it in the same balance patch as V, it comes off as being collateral. I, I seem to remember them talking about overwhelming hunger for a little while and saying how, you know, it is the most prevalent by far monster leader ability that's being used and things like that. And I know Kelly kind of started to work its way in a little bit, but they nerfed and changed a lot of other cards, right? They changed the um, Arrakis leader and stuff like that. So you were somewhat limited in what else you could play. So from that perspective, I can understand them maybe wanting to change it a bit. But I, I, to, to your point, you're, you're going to take away this pretty flexible leader that, again, newer players can play and work with a variety of archetypes, and you're not giving them anything else to use. So all you do is create monsters as a Kelly faction, and that's more or less all you see, which is unfortunate. And I think needing to, you know, create some more variety. So sure, you want to change Overwhelming Hunger because it's used a lot, no problem, but give monster players something else to use um, so that they have some variety there as well, as opposed to just taking away one of the very few toys that they have. Yeah, because long story short, people were playing Overwhelming Hunger because that was the only viable leader. Not because it was innately overpowered. Yes. Yeah. And what I, I think I want to see, or I'd love to see from a strategic perspective of, again, you know, balancing cards. And like I said, I'm going to give my opinion because I thankfully don't have to do the work because it's not an easy job. But, you know, look at a leader ability and go, well, instead of just throwing this one in the garbage, let's try and bring the other abilities up to that level so that there is some variety and all of them feel competitive. Not overpowered or anything, just competitive, as opposed to so many leader abilities in the game right now just don't see use at all. Um, the other thing I think is a challenge, and I, I think they mentioned it in the patch notes, and I can understand this as frustrating as it is. Whenever you have a leader ability that is so focused on one keyword or one you know type of archetype, now every time you create a Death Wish card, you have to think, how does this interact with Overwhelming Hunger? So it can limit the design space a little bit, and I can see that, you know, hey, we're going to nerf this right now, but you'll understand the next expansion is really frustrating. But I can see that being the possibility as well that, well, in the next patch, maybe we want to do something else, but we need to change this first. So I'm, again, trying to be optimistic and, and looking forward, hoping that we're going to understand that better down the line. But I think there's just so much you have to think about that's really, really tough. Uh, but wasn't one of the reasons why they decided to nerf it also its win rate? Because they obviously have the data that we don't have. And it, it clearly reminds me of the case of Enslave a couple of months ago, maybe even longer, uh, where Enslave was 16 provisions, it was nerfed to 15 provisions, and everyone was like, uh, but hold on, nobody's playing Enslave. Why are you nerfing this? And then they said, because our, our, our data suggests it's uh, extremely strong uh, in certain situations. And then... They were actually right because you would see, um, you know, the Gwent Open tournaments, and mm -hmm. the Enslave was always being played, because you know it, it was not the most meta of decks, but it was really really strong and it was and it was often played in a more competitive environment. So they just look at the data and thought, uh, yeah, Enslave is a, is a little bit too strong. We nerfed it by one provision. I think that's exactly what happened to Overwhelming Hunger. I th I think again it comes down to you have to look at so many different factors. Okay, really high level pro, sure, it's a problem. Does that mean it's a problem somewhere else or vice versa? It's a problem at rank 15. Do we need to tweak that nonetheless? So, you know, I think there's so many factors and also the fact that V was a thing. So how do you look at the overwhelming hunger win rate without taking that into account? Okay, we just had to nerf a crazy overpowered card 
we'll remove that from the game, but we're also going to nerf the leader because it also has a high win rate. Like, if that's the thought process, it's probably a little bit skewed. So I do think that, you know, looking at how often it's played, looking at win rate is important, but not in a vacuum. You have to consider all the other factors as well. Yeah, it's too simplistic. I remember back when Master Mirror came out, I think one of the devs said they don't see second wind as a problem because the win rate is fairly low. But we all knew that it was a huge problem, especially in terms of you being able to play a gold card in round one and then replaying it in round three. We all knew it was a big problem. Um, so yeah, if they just rely on that data, I feel it's very misleading sometimes. And as you say, uh, Christo, it doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah. The thing, like, I, I always think about this when people say that, oh, the win rate of these decks isn't that high. Because what I think, and again, I, I often put myself in the, the shoes of a new player. Okay, so they go on whatever, YouTube, Reddit, watch streamers, and they see this deck being played. And they're like, second win looks amazing. Let me build that deck. Maybe I don't have all the cards. I definitely don't have all the knowledge to play it properly. And I go and I tank a bunch of games in a row. You'll, I won't say often, but you'll see on Reddit, People saying, oh, I don't understand why this leader ability is so good. I played and I lose all the time. But there's, again, so many more factors into it. You know, yes, the prevalence is very high because people are net decking a lot. And newer players who don't know how to play that specific archetype maybe jump in and they lose a bunch of games. Well, that brings the win rate down. But does that really make that deck less powerful? No. It's just, again, because the numbers get skewed that way. But the moment you said second wind, it it is the like it gave me that PTSD feeling, you know, <laughs> double wild boar of the sea stuff like that. Oh, that mm. was that was that, that it was, was not insane. A... How yeah, overpowered it... that deck was! It it had everything. It totally destroyed the whole you know triangle of control engines point slam. It, it just had everything. It, it annihilated almost every other deck in the game. Yeah, absolutely. It was. And it, was it... it was a machine gun. But it still was not as bad as uh, Frost Axeman back in beta, because All it was basically yeah. Uh, yeah, well. yeah, it was it was ages ago. But that was basically the only deck everyone played for at least a couple of months, because Ouch. it was just yeah. so much stronger than everything else in the game. Hmm. Um. But moving on, I, I want to stay with monsters because you know, of, of course, V got nerfed, of Woman Hunger got nerfed. But there is some other changes in the faction, and we've actually seen um, some some buffs, RP and Katakan, for instance. Yeah, I think people people initially thought the Katakan is a nerf, but it actually is a buff. Mm -hmm. It's a buff, definitely. Yeah, and Harpy has a really good ceiling now as well. It's a um, nine for five, pretty good. I just feel they isn't the right meta for these cards. Yeah, but if. Blood Scent is buffed, for sure we'll see Katakan. If Death Wish is buffed, especially in regards to consumes, we'll definitely see Harpy Egg. They're just really good. Good cards with a really nice ceiling. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you take cards that are underplayed and you make them a little bit better, and they're probably still underplayed, and that's fine. Like, there's no reason not to give love to those cards. I think, Tilt, you're spot on. There isn't necessarily the deck archetype out there right now that makes those cards super prevalent, but that doesn't mean that down the line with further tweaks and changes and new cards coming out and things like that, that we won't see them work their way back into the meta. So if they want to spend time buffing um, some of the less played cards and they want to do it this way, yeah, why not? Yeah. And we also have a uh, Fuka change. Thrive? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not even sure how to pronounce that name. 
It, it sounds like it sounds like you're saying the f word all the time. I know. <laughs> There are a few cards I don't like naming on stream. Oh yeah, the, the um the best boy being one of them, I guess. Yes, best boy yep. is best boy. That is his I'll name. What? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, Funka has now thrived too. It seems interesting because to me it seems like a double edged sword. Like he. It, it seems like a buff, but you are not gonna get as many uh, triggers as you would normally do. So in the end, in the longer round, I'm actually not sure if it is a buff. Uh, Fuka has the same problem now, I find, that it did with its previous ability. And I like the previous ability because it was creative. But at the same time, you're not getting that many procs. You have a four power unit. You're gonna boost it, you know, maybe three times if you're lucky because you have some bigger monster cards. Your opponent's probably buffing it like once procking thrive once maybe maybe twice in a perfect world and the same thing happens now you've got a four that goes to a six that goes to like how how many times you're really going to proc that thrive based on what his base power is and mm. if you, in a long round you work it perfectly sure you can do it a bunch but you know thrive in and of itself is not an archetype we've seen a lot of lately you see a few thrive cards thrown in with like overwhelming hunger and, and stuff like that but It just doesn't fit anywhere right now. And and maybe down the line, just a straight up Thrive Fruits um, list will be good. And, and maybe we'll see Fuka get some play. But right now, it's it's just kind of there. Mm. I could only see it being viable in a very tall meta and in a short round. So if everyone's playing Spear Tip, Old Spear Tip, Osril, yeah. um, Goliath, and you go into a very short round, like a three-card round, you could probably get it up to 10 or 12. But apart from that niche, um, I can't see it working. And the Thrive 2 is just anti-synergy with Thrive overall. They're meant to be a long round engine, aren't they? What really interests me is um, they said this change is a result um, of something they had in mind and didn't implement in the end. So I'm really wondering okay. what, what that concept was because they said, mm. you know, the original uh, ability was uh, meant to work with something they had in mind, but it, what didn't make it to the game. So I'm really wondering what that thing was. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, Can't just wait. It'll, it'll end up being an ability for another card down the line when they finally implement that, I feel. Hmm. It's always like that, isn't it? Yeah. I, like, if you want to recycle abilities, I don't have a problem with it when you take the ability away from a time where it's not relevant and you want to drop it back into a meta where it's more relevant. So... Fine, I'm fine with that. Let's just kind of see what happens down the line. Yeah, make beta reveal great again. <laughs> I could see something working. Like, if it has Thrive 2, but at the end of it, every turn, it damages itself by one and boosts the adjacent card by one, maybe. So that you're profiting from the Thrive 2 for a longer period of time. But other Or, than that, I, yeah. Even if you have cards that, let's say... <laughs> instead of proccing Thrive through playing them, proc Thrive through like a, a game text of some sort. Yeah. But that just feels really overpowered. I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think the current ability is more of an experiment. Let's see how it works. Yeah. Because we obviously have, uh, you know, Assimilate 2, Harmony 2. So I, I, I guess the, the thought process was, okay, let's see if Thrive 2 is actually worth it. Which if you put it on a one power unit it might be on a four power unit it makes it a little bit more iffy yeah just just make larva thrive too perfect <laughs> perfect ouch um 
and I think I think that's it for monsters. Do we have any more significant changes? No, it's 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 full. Uh, Crimson it's... Curse. Crimson Curse. Oh yeah, Crimson Curse. Indirect buff through the Ekamara tokens. Um, mm -hmm. So on deploy, it plays for two extra points of tempo, which isn't too bad to be honest, because it has a ceiling of seventeen points with uh, Arrakis Swarm, and it also makes Blood Scent better. I completely forgot about that. Mm. And I didn't see it even once. No, well, this it didn't, season. Well, to be honest, it didn't appear in the in the balance changes because it was a buff right. to the tokens rather than the card itself. Um, but yeah, indirectly, it's a buff for Crimson Curse and Blood Scent. All right. Yeah. I actually saw... If I played one game against Crimson Curse Vampires... That was actually really interesting because I wasn't expecting it at all, and it was a very big surprise. But I, th I think that to your point, tilt is a, is a nice buff, and hopefully, again, that creates some snowball effect. And as other cards get tweaked, we see it become more prevalent in the meta because I think monsters need a little bit more, just more interesting archetypes and, and different leader abilities that have the potential to be competitive. Yep. Exactly, because potential right now sure. we don't even yep. see that many monster decks. If if at all, I don't remember. I, I did play against monsters on ranks five through one a couple of times, but compared to other factions, really underrepresented. But, and I on think Pro level, you get Kelly a lot, but Kelly is extremely binary, especially in metas where people are already targeting Colgrim. Kelly say Kelly shares the same um, you know text like heat wave, spores. Um, what else? Uh, squirrel, for example. So I actually like, don't mind. I actually it. don't mind Kelly not seeing a lot of playtime <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, and this is quote from Chris: Every deck that encourages encourages you to discard is not good for the game, and that's Kelly. I I think that, and I know people complain about Lippy a bunch, and don't get me wrong, I don't like playing against Lippy, but if if from my perspective. ST no unit and Kelly are worse for the game because it creates such a bad interaction where you don't even want to play cards. And Colgrim's getting there too because you don't want to play bronzes because you know they're getting copied on top of your deck, but it's not quite as bad. But I think in a in a meta, if you look at competitive play, it might be a little bit different because discarding cards does add another layer of gameplay. But I think again, when you start looking at newer players or, you know, on regular ranks it gets to be really frustrating and just a really bad interaction where my option is I actually don't want to play any card in my hand. I want to discard it. And because the game is set up differently than a Hearthstone or whatever, where you can literally pass a turn if you want it, it's a negative impact to actually do that to your hand and throw one of your cards away. So it just feels really bad for the game. Well, actually, that's my tactic now. If I have red coin against Colgrim, I just discard three cards and pass. That's what you have to do. Otherwise, they start filling your deck. You get worse mulligans. Yeah. Yeah. And it, as like, you say, it just feels really unhealthy for the game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do not love that. And I'm okay with Kelly not seeing play. The problem, and like to go back to monsters, is you don't see a lot of Kelly decks. The thing about Kelly as well is it's got a higher skill ceiling, I think, to play properly than something like Overwhelming Hunger does. So you see less Kelly. When you do, half the time, the people are playing it kind of in a wonky way and it's not too hard to answer. 
Hmm. So it's just, it just feels like monsters need a little bit of love so that you can have more flexibility on ladder and play something that's a little bit easier to play as well. And, and Kelly is very top heavy. It relies on a very few amount of gold. If you miss yeah. those gold or you don't find them at the right time, the deck just collapses. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, you have the counters, heat waves, the spores. It, it, it has a high um, skill uh, requirement, but also it's very, um, it's very weak and vulnerable to bad draws. And I think that's part of the reason why it's a better tournament deck, kind of like ST No Unit a lot as well, because you can manipulate the coin you're on, you can coin abuse, you can really make sure that that matchup makes more sense. And it's not the best climbing deck because, a, yep. you know, a coin flipper, your matchup can pretty much cost you the game. Agreed. Um, speaking of coins, let's, let's move to Skellige and our favorite deck, Lippy, because, uh, Tilt, you said that you are uh, content with the nerves. Whereas I think uh, a huge chunk of the community is not really seeing it as a nerf. So, uh, so my question is, um, we were promised a reasonable treatment when it comes to Lippy. Do you think it was reasonable to just nerf one power, one provision, or is Lippy still a problem? Well, I mean, it depends on what rank you're playing at. In pro rank, I hardly see Lippy, to be completely honest with you. So from my perspective, it's a really fair and really effective nerf. But from what you were saying, you're seeing a lot of Lippy in, was it rank four, rank three? Yeah, rank four. four so yeah, your opinion is going to be far different to mine. I, um, I want to focus on just staying top 500 this season because going through the Lippy hell that is rank three to one is just not a fun interaction. <laughs> but I, I completely agree. Once I've, I don't think I've played a single game or maybe like one or two games against Lippy and Pro. But yeah, low ranks, I think it's a very easy deck to play with a good win rate that really encourages people to want to to spam that deck until they get to pro yeah the more popular list is ursine warriors yes and that does require um a larger skill level i'd say it's fairly easy to pilot nonetheless but compared to lippy yeah if you're at a lower rank and you want to climb easily yeah you definitely pick lippy for sure Absolutely. but it does have its limitations um but yeah uh, I like I don't know if changing the Lippy card itself was the best solution to changing Lippy. And now we see it with Ursine Warriors as well, right? That Saris just is a giant point slam with a leader ability that pretty much guarantees you the activation. So like mm. maybe that was something you look at modifying a little bit. I don't I don't know the exact direction, but I don't know that the Lippy card itself was the problem unless you want to go and completely change Lippy's ability. I was thinking that they could give Ceres devotion. So that, so if you play Ceres and you have Devotion, she will spawn that extra Shield Maiden. If not, she, uh, how could you work it? Uh, if I, you don't have Devotion, it will just be a four for make it an order seven. instead and give her Zeal if she's a Devotion. Maybe, yeah. Because then you have an, a way to answer Ceres at least hmm. before she spawns. Yeah, that could work. Um, what I saw, there is one idea that I saw, and, and somebody told me about that on my stream is to give the um the card you spawn doomed, so uh, you take a few points away from from second series. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, mean that work too. So that ca in that case, you'd have to run a gremist as well to purify. Purify. But if you're playing, I don't know if that's worth or... it for the four points. Yeah. And if you're playing Gremis, you're not playing something else, right? 
exactly. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure how to tackle Lippy not to be so oppressive at you know ranks three to one, because mm. it's it's really difficult. I I I like the concept of Lippy when it was less consistent, when how you drew uh, basically determined whether or not you're gonna win. And now we have Oniromancy in the game. Now we have Snowdrop in the game. So, um, Nickers, Roach, uh, got some provision uh, buffs. So, over overall, you can just fit in better cards and you have more um, consistency options to pick from as, as Lippy. And I, I, I don't remember seeing Lippy Brick even once these days. Yeah. Very rare. Mm. I'm, I'm wondering as well, talking about provisions, if with the, the you know amount of time or the amount of decks we see the Ursine Warriors kind of come through on pro rank if we're not going to see a little bit of a nerf to the number of provisions that that leader gets because Lippy I mean I don't know how good a win rate it has but it's out there a lot and then we're seeing warriors at pro rank so might see a little bit of change in, in the provisions of that leader oh for um, sure It'd be 15 or 16 I'd say 17 is way huge. too much yeah last season Lippy was one of the very few Skellig decks that were being played I'm not, it was not the only one because SK Warriors are always, always yeah. uh, around. Yeah. Uh, and I would say, if you look at the stats, Skellige had the highest win rate last season. If you look at the stats what? provided by, I think Team Legacy and Team Elderblood. I feel okay. like SK always has the highest win rate. I don't know if it's just me. I feel like every time I look at those reports, uh, absolutely. And, and the reason why is very simple: they have the best bronzes. Mm -hmm. They have really good gold, and they have the best bronzes. Because quite I mean, often... Bear, which is an 8 for 5. You have the yeah. Duke, which is insane. Yeah, quite yeah. often when Even I'm playing them. against Skellige, I find myself playing golds in order to match the point output of Skellige playing bronzes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, take Sheila, for example. Sheila is a NR gold. Her ceiling is a 8 for... Let me have a look, actually. I think it's an 8 for 7, actually. But a Raiders in round 3, that is already an 8 for 5. Five. It just shows yeah. you how much power, power crypt cards have been. Yeah, and Invader is 7 for 4. Yeah. Yep. And Berserker, before the nerf, was actually 9 for 5. <laughs> now yeah. it's 8 for 5. Really good. And Harold gets to bring one of those back, so you don't mind playing it in round one because you know you're <laughs> going to get it again. Exactly. But there is there is some cool um, Skellige decks around. For example, the one um, with the spores and uh, playing the adepts with Porto. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, That's... it's all been play. I haven't seen it recently, but it did see a lot of play last season, for sure. The pr I think the problem becomes anytime you end up with a faction that one deck has a as a strong win rate, the f creativity in that faction immediately goes down because people just gravitate to that. I think, mm. you know, we saw SK Alchemy be decent, good, maybe borderline, like really competitive. Um, you know, Fish Flappers and Portal is a thing that can be good as well, but more often than not, people are going to go and say, well, I could play that, or I can just play SK Warriors and win and be happy, so let me just do that instead. So I think, you know, once you start getting those cards or those leaders or those decks that are very 
um, you know, have a higher win rate, the creativity suddenly falters and people stop trying to come up with something new. They'll just play what's established already. Yeah, for the most part. I think SK Warriors are uh, an example of a deck that's really well balanced. It, it, it's not too annoying to play against. I think no. I think I think I think when you when you queue into warriors you think okay it's going to be a tough matchup but you are not initially like, immediately tilted as if you were playing against Lippy let's say hmm. and it's a really strong deck. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I, it took them a few nerves to get there. But <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it took them like, it took them like four totally months creepy. of warriors basically dominating Gwent. But they, mean, it, we got there. Yeah, go go on, Chris. I was just going to say part of part of it as well is the fact that you've got you've got a deck you know what to expect as well. So, okay, I kind of know what's coming. I know it's going to be a tough matchup, but I know kind of how to maneuver the situation as well because I've been playing around it for 6 seasons now. So, it creates a really interesting matchup in my mind because it it's a very much like a, a chess type of interaction. Okay, if I do this, there's a good likely chance that I see Mork or I, I don't want to give him a Blood Eagle target or I don't want to give him this or I don't want to give him that. So you, you start to think, and I, I enjoy that interaction and that type of gameplay because it gives you something really structured to work around. And, and it's very fulfilling when you win because you feel like you went up against the challenge and you overcame it. Yeah. Absolutely. Whereas if you're facing Northern Realms Witchers, are they running Yerden? Are they running Anseis? Are they running Igni? There's that surprise value and you... You have to take a guess and say, oh, I'm going to lose to this, but I'll win against this, and I'll take whatever line. And, and something against, yeah, exactly. And our witchers, well, I have to decide, do I go this way or do I go this way? And one's going to win me the game, one's going to lose me the game, and I really don't even know which direction to go. <laughs> but the other thing about NR witchers, as an example, is now there's, I've seen a few run Anseus. Before that, like they had a boiling oil or maybe two. So it was really weird because you're just, I'm just going to throw my cards on the board. They're going to throw their cards on the board and we'll see who can sequence better. But that's mostly it because they're not going to interact with me at all. So it's like, it creates an odd matchup where you feel like you're playing a bit of solitaire. And that's never ideal for me when I'm playing, you know, a game like Gwent. Hmm. But that, that was also one of the reasons why people didn't mind play against Witchers last season. Because if you compare it with other decks that really uh, meddled with, with what you're playing, yeah. Witches were just doing their thing. Yeah, we're just chilling over here. Come see us if you want, or don't, you know, whatever. It sort of worked the same way that Lippy does, uh, yeah. in that you win round one, you bleed round two, down to a few cards, and you just play a very short round three with the Witcher trio and carry over. It reminds me a, a bit of Lippy, but yeah, it's, it's far more enjoyable for the opponent. At least you're not having all of this stuff uh, yeah, destroyed. Ex yeah, ex exactly, because Lippy yeah. is playing Heatwave or Curse mm. of Corruption, or both. Uh, Guarding Slash, or the removal... Stunning and they can, yeah, option. Stunning Blow. Lyrium for clowns. Yeah. Uh, Gigacock, sometimes. Yeah. Oh, so, here's my blue boy. Have fun with mm -hmm. him, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, He's all... extra precise. I don't know if it's something in the code that they've worked, but Blue Boy kills exactly what he needs to kill every time. Not when He's I'm playing. He's as precise him. as Harold hitting the sirens. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, I feel like Blue Boy at seven provisions is just cheating right now. Yeah, especially with the fact that you can tutor it via the Blood Eagle, and the Blood yeah. Eagle does two damage itself. You can clear a board. Like yeah. for example, if your opponent plays Ethne. You just play your blue oh. boy. It does deal, it does ten damage, and all of your engines are gone. <laughs> Poor yeah. Ethne. Obviously, you can play around it, but it does have a really high ceiling, for sure. Um, 
there's one more point on my list regarding Skellige, and that's the Heim and Olaf interaction. Because it mm -hmm. did get a little bit of a buff. And initially, yeah. a lot of people were saying that it basically cancels out the nerfs handed to Lippy. Because no. Heim, is, Heim is now a provision cheaper, I think. And I think initially, a lot of people were just decided, okay, you know what, I'm not gonna play her in Kaduch, because it's nerfed now. I'm just gonna replace it with Heim. Yeah, the thing is, um, that combination plays into tool removal, right? And yeah. the good thing about Lippy previously was that he didn't re-go that high. You're just giving your opponent a tool removal magnet, aren't you, with the 19.0 um, left. So uh, I, th I would prefer to play Kaduk personally and just stay low to the ground. Like, if you're going to go tall, go tall with multiple units, not just with one, essentially. Like, what, at the end of the day, is their tallest unit in Lippy? Like, you're going to have a Bear Witcher that you then heal? Yeah, it's so going to be seven. seven. Yeah. That's not giving yeah. your opponent's tall value, a tall removal much value. It's not breaking your Curse of Corruption most of the time. Mm. I think people experimented with him and Hyman Olaf very briefly, and then realized, yeah, this probably still isn't that good, so let's just, just put that away. Yeah, I think the only toll removal that actually breaks even against Lippy is Leo, Leo Bonehart. Because you play 10 for 10. Yeah. Because if you move a 7-point seven, seven Witcher, you get 3 points on your own 10 provision card. Yeah. In all other scenarios, you are losing provisions. Apart from Heat Wave in round 1 on a series, carry over. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that's plays for, what, 12? Yeah, 12 points. Yeah. But then again, you know, I'm always thinking from the perspective of somebody who's playing Nilfgaard, you don't really see Heatwave being played in Nilfgaard because you have <laughs> Yenvo, so you basically steal Ceres. Or if you have an, an engine like Scorpion, you can always play Amnesty. Like, Amnesty is such a good card against it is. Oh boy. Amnesty Maddox just feels so good too. Yeah. Mm. My recent guilty pleasures. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, Amnesty is one of those cards that people are freaked out when it was fir first revealed because uh, it was, what, five provisions, I think? And people were like, oh my god, this is just insanely OP. Then it got nerfed, nobody played it, and now, a couple of months later, we finally see Amnesty being played here and there. Yep. I, think uh, I mean... Five... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think at five provisions, it becomes too easy to include it everywhere. I think at six, it's the perfect balance of now it's a tech card that is good in this meta because you're going to see Maddox come out because you're going to want to amnesty Ceres. Even if you're playing against, you know, you're going to see those three power units come out and snagging them feels good. So I think that it's very meta dependent, but at six, you have to make a choice about it. And it's not just an auto include. Mm. Yeah, I really like the card. It's really nicely balanced because if you're playing non-devotion, it's a six for six, but you're stealing something, which is great. If you're Devotion, it gives you that extra two points. But it's also not broken to the extent where you can always play it and always get value. Sometimes it will brick, so you need to have some setup for it, so you can't be too greedy. Uh, it's a really nice card. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there is a single scenario in which you are going to play Amnesty and Non-Devotion. Nilfgaard is, as a matter of fact... I've the, seen it. You've seen I've it, seen because it. Nilfgaard is the that, only what? faction that doesn't really need to play Non-Devotion. Yeah. You don't care about Heatwave because you have Yenvo. You don't really care about Nero because you have Roderick, which is an amazing yeah. card. It took so many months, if not years, for Roderick to actually see play, and now it's the most popular Nilfgaard gold. Yeah. It's really, it's just, it's really cheap, isn't it? And yeah, six provisions. Um, 
especially in the later round, it's really useful. Yeah. And you also double procs uh, Masquerade Ball. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. may or may not be a healthy interaction. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, Masquerade Ball kind of carries the faction. So I think the devs yeah. are fine with that. Yeah. Um, but moving on, guys, because we already talked a little bit about the Witchers. Uh, Northern Realms, there isn't really a lot happening with Northern Realms this no. patch, but they did decide to buff a single Witcher card, the Griffin Witcher Ranger, I think. They gave it formation, so now you get an additional point. Um, weren't yeah. it, considering that the popular Uprising deck didn't even run it? Um, it's just that for the most part, you're very tight in provisions to the extent where you'd prefer to run one boiling oil over the ranger. Um, it does yeah. find value, I suppose, against swarm decks in particular. Maybe you could run it, but the thing is, if you run it, you're probably going to cut a mentor and mentor is so, um, so vital for hand consistency. Because in round three, if you draw into double rich trio, you can just say to yourself, right, I'll just go for AA onto a mentor and it'll fix my hand. Yeah. Uh, so I think the reason we don't see it is less about it being a bad card and more about you being very tight on provisions, um, especially in the 5P area. I was so surprised that that was the only Witcher change they made. Mm. I wasn't expecting a huge nerf. Like, I wasn't expecting a, a ton of changes, but... You know, the fact that the only change they made was a buff to the underplayed Witcher. It's like the Adept that plays for a 4 for 4 with a shield. Mm. Maybe that could be a 5 provision yep. unit. Maybe you change the Ranger to a 4. You just swap the two. Um, but yeah, I, it's just weird to throw formation onto it. It kind of makes it a base 3 because for the most part, you're not using the order right now, I don't think. So you can almost always formation it into the back and then pick whatever row you want to copy. It's just... It's weird. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It still doesn't see play. It exists. And again, hopefully down the line, you know, it'll make more sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was honestly surprised not to see any significant Witcher changes or any significant NR changes in general because they did mm -hmm. buff the trap a little bit. But not to the point where it will be even close to comparable with... Uh, with uh, Uncreate Longship, for instance. Or the, yeah. the Witcher Griffin. The, the Griffin Witcher. Hmm. It's still I did just... like the change, though. I, I did like the change. I think it, it adds some flexibility to a card that gets shoehorned if you want to play Siege or something, gets forced into your deck. So at least giving it some flexibility is kind of nice. Siege in 2021. <laughs> I mean, if you want to. Yeah, I hope somebody wants to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Didn't they also buff the Griffin? Um, they gave it a provision buff and a strength buff, I believe. So now it's a six for nine. Oh yeah, Arch Griffin. Mm. But it's still a meme card, to be honest. Absolutely, yes. It gets tutored by AA now. Fantastic! It's yeah. something I never want to do to that card. <laughs> yeah. So so ba yeah. so basically, you have Ar that last patch. You had Arch Griffin and the Arch Griffin. She told you not to worry about which was V. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but moving on, uh, Squaretel. Um, several minor buffs, not, not not really worth mentioning, as always. As as we discussed in the beginning, you know, 61 changes, so it's ex it's to be expected that many of those changes are going to be just minor. 
Um, but there is a couple of nerfs. Scott Witcher's adrenaline was lowered from four to three. Do you th do you think it it will have an impact on the playability of the card? Not really. It was it's still incredibly strong for its provisions. Um, yeah, it's good in the long round. It's good in the short round. Um, I see it still played in the same decks, and I see it very frequently in elves in gift. Um, it hasn't really changed it at all, to be honest. I mean, if you think about when you play it, assuming it goes off, you know, a couple of times, or you have a sentry on board, or whatever the case may be, it immediately plays pretty much over its provisions. So, mm. I I don't think there's any reason not to play it. I do like the change though, because I think that it is a very strong card. So, nerfing the adrenaline by one is a nice way to continue to look at balancing the card. Uh, so, I'm I I think it's a good change. Because essentially, if you play it in a long round, it's only going to get one fewer point, which is negligible, isn't it, really? When you consider how strong it is anyway. Um, yep. Yeah, exactly. You always play it. You, you never say to yourself, oh, it's Adrenaline 3 now. I won't play it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but are you surprised not to see any changes to Gezras? Because the ceiling of that card is just insane. Mm. I, I, it... I'd say after V, it's now the strongest card of the expansion. After the V nerf, for sure, it, it is crazy. It gives you so much power in a bleed. It's insane, yeah. Um, how do you change it without it becoming uh, underwhelming? Maybe the Adrenaline, I guess, if they moved it down to Adrenaline 2. Yeah, instead of 3. One minor change that I expected and that we didn't get, and not only in regards to uh, Gezras, but also to Catwitcher, is the change to wording, because now it says uh, and and not then. So if you, if you, you know, clog their, uh, the row, it still is going to do their thing. Mm. Right. It still works. Right, which, I mean, the thing about it is it, the whole point of clogging the row so it gets no value and it probably doesn't get a lot of value right if they're filling up their back row their front row is probably pretty bare so if it's stuck on the front row boosting that row you're not getting a ton of points but the fact if you can't answer it though it pretty much costs you the game because for the most yeah. part they've got enough units on the board to fill their row and that gets you you know mm -hmm. that extra boost of five plus per turn i think that right now the reason that it doesn't at least in my opinion, doesn't feel really overpowered is because most people are expecting it. So you stack your back row against them. It never really gets much value on the front row unless you are forced to put a roll locked engine there. It bounces to its back row, does a boost or five, and then gets locked or gets destroyed or gets whatever. Um, so I don't think it feels really overpowered. I think it's a very, very strong card. And maybe just, yeah, that tweak to adrenaline would have been uh, would be enough to do it. Um, but yeah, it, it's very, very solid and gets pretty much auto-included in any deck that plays units. Exactly. Yeah, it's, um, I would say it's pretty crazy for a gold engine card to essentially break even on deploy. <laughs> because even yeah. if it, un even if it gets answered, you already, you already broke even. It, that's the and thing. That's the awesome. engine puts the points on something else. So even when you answer him, the points still stay on the board. Exactly. It's not like it's yeah. an engine that grows itself that you tall remove and, and you're good. But yeah, Tilbro, I mean, you, you, were, you were saying something. Sorry, I missed that. Uh, you, were, you, were, you were going to say something and I interrupted. Uh, I was just thinking, I think it's fine at the moment, to be honest, because it's very, 
It's fairly easy to remove. You can also lock it. It would be far more unhealthy if it was in a Kelly deck, for example, and you could put, um, you know, a veil on it. Mm-hmm. At that stage, it becomes a lot more toxic. But you're always expecting it. And if you don't have the answer for it in your deck, that's on you because you didn't make the right meta call, I guess. Um, but it's, it's never going to be a case where you think, oh, I can't remove it. I'd have to play this very specific tech card to um, deny my opponent this value. I think it's fine the way it is. Maybe they could decrease its strength and add one armor so that it has less um, tempo. Or I would say just, just lower its strength by one so that even if you yeah. have a sentry on the board, it goes up to five and the five point, point removal still deals with it. Perhaps, yeah. It's mm. a valid point as well, yeah. But yeah, I agree. It's, it's strong, but not necessarily overpowered. At least not not in the way that V was overpowered. No, yeah, exactly. It, I just think, again, it's one of those cards that going forward, if we see more movement support, it might become a problem. So I think it's one of those things that they need to keep an eye on. Or it might be one of those things where, you know, movement's just not something they support again going forward. So I think they need to keep an eye on it. But I think right now in the meta, it's fairly, it's strong but balanced. Yeah, so, sure. um, my, my personal take on movement is when they said they are going to boost the archetype, I thought it will require some sort of action from the player and not, you know, a wave of, of passive points. <laughs> so, I, I, I was yeah. expecting, okay, you have you to click the thing to get the points. So, um, yeah. that's, that's, that's an interesting take on movement because it's probably the best archetype to bleed now. Oh, it's excellent. Yeah. And if you're in a mirror, it's all about first say. So you'd prefer to bleed in round two and get all of your movement engines down first mm-hmm. rather than go for a long round and have your opponent have that initiative and play his first. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Um, when I saw the movement cards, I thought there'll be more um, player agency, but for the most part, there isn't. Because uh, cards like Cat Saboteur, Cat Witcher Saboteur, they require a lot of setup and are really clunky. Um, to the point where there's no point playing it, but yeah, you can just slam down your cat witches, your gezras, and they're going to give you they're going to give you really good value as long as you swarm for it. Yeah. And one of the cards that enabled swarm and that finally got addressed is Novigrade Injustice. I think mm-hmm. after V, it's the highlight of this patch. <clears throat> yeah. So um... what, what, what's what's your take on the nerf? Oh yeah, it was definitely justified. Um, okay, let's. Let's consider it. It's 13 for 10, tempo with double thinning. That's unconditional. Yeah, it needed a nerf for sure. But I like that they nerfed it in a way that it doesn't affect dwarves, which is underdeveloped. So it gives them something fun to play with that is really strong. Uh, But at the same time, it nerfs um, that card for especially elves and nature's gift. Because... um, Nature's Gift, for example, it was very easy to bleed in round two. You just slam your justice, and it also thins your deck, so it gives you more consistency for round three. And it, yeah, it was unconditional. But now if you want to bleed, you have to sacrifice more important cards, like an Ethne, maybe. So yeah, it was definitely justified. Um, I haven't seen it in dwarves that much, just because dwarves don't... <laughs> just because dwarves aren't really that strong. But if dwarves become a thing, uh, they might have to revisit it and nerf it again. But for the... For the moment, it seems like a, a very fine balance. Yeah, what a time yeah. to be alive. The ultimate dwarf card not being played in dwarf decks. Hmm? 
I mean, what, what the, time the, to be the alive fact that be, you be... don't see the dwarf decks is probably the bigger issue there. Yeah. Let's go about justice. Yeah. I just, I think the fact that it was unconditional and thinning and point slam all in one yeah. was just too much, especially because you could run it in something like no unit ST. All you're doing is removing, 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 knowing that if they pass and try and catch you, you know, too far behind, you just slam justice and you get out ahead. So, you know, I, I do think the fact that they changed it, they made it a little bit more interesting for Syndicate, which needed some help. Um, and they didn't make it completely unplayable in um, Squayatel. You just have to be a lot yeah. more creative around it. You're running a couple pyrotechs and, and things like that as well. So, you know, it, it changes the card significantly. I, I don't think it makes it nearly as auto-included in ST like it used to be. So um, I, I think the change was needed. And I think I'm happy with how it played out. Yeah, but as you said, you have to set up the Pyrotech, but I think that Pyrotech on its own is a very difficult card to deal with. It is, yeah. Because if you just damage it by 4 or 5, it's still gonna get its points. Hmm. So it's... Yeah, it, it, you need to kill it. You you yeah, you need to kill it, but that's... that's, that's but, but that's... you wouldn't be using those cards on the Pyrotech? Probably not. Yeah, exactly, no. because that's that's 6 power. And that and that'll come down to depending on how prevalent in the meta going forward justice is. If you know your opponent's probably trying to trigger justice off of your pyrotech, then you don't feel so bad wasting your card on it. No. But now that justice is less of an auto include, it's weird because yeah, do I want to remove that? Do I want to spend my cards on it and then really just removing something that's yeah six points theoretically on a high end. Um, the last question about Scratchel that I wanted to ask is. Do you think that considering the change to justice, it will be more widely played in Syndicate? Um, not at the moment, because Syndicate is still underpowered, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but in the future, I think it would become a... Well, the thing is, the only viable target for it, really, is the save crackers. And if you're playing a save cracker, you need to be playing a very specific type of deck, which is namely a crimes deck. So unless they broaden the amount of good cards you can get from Justice, I think it will only see play in a crimes deck, to be honest. I agree. I think that's the only way it sees play. And this, yeah, that's pretty much it. And we don't see a lot of crimes decks and we don't see a lot of syndicate mm -hmm. in general. So again, down the line, I think it's a good... The problem yeah. is it's a good support card, except that it's way too many provisions to be a support card. So it really just only works in certain archetypes. All right, that's about Squatel. Moving on, everyone's favorite faction, at least now. Nilfgaard. <laughs> so, um, there is very few changes to Nilfgaard, but those very few changes include uh, Viper Witcher Mentor. <laughs> so, so what's, what's, what's your take on, on that accidental change and, and overall the clogging archetype? Who wants to start? <laughs> go, go for it, Tilt. You're already talking. I, I mean, yeah, for me, the archetype's an abomination, to be honest. I don't think it should be in the game at all. It doesn't help the casual scene. It doesn't help the competitive scene. It takes away from player agency. I don't think it should be in the game. Uh, full stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Viper Witcher Mentor buff is unfortunate because it makes one of the only stumbling blocks of a clogging deck um, irrelevant, which is the sequencing. Now that it has Adrenaline 3, you can play Viper Witcher, Colgrim, Viper Witcher, Viper Witcher. Whereas before, it 
used to be awkward. And sometimes if you play a Cynthia, uh, you can't play your Viper Witcher with four cards left because it will just destroy itself. But now you've just got more, um, you've got more freedom to play these really overpowered cards in a um, good sequence. And you can play it four times. Four times, yeah. In a game. You can play like a 13-point card four times in a game. It's insane. As a matter of fact, you could even play it more. You could even try to fit Necromancy, necromancy into yeah, you your deck, and it's still going to be worth right. it. Yeah. Always going to still be worth it. Mm. Um, but I, I agree. I think the, the clogging archetype is just it's bad for the game. And you see a lot of and different card games and different developers talk about how you know discard can be really negative uh, for the game mill can be negative for your game clogging is definitely a negative experience in the game so i think stuff like that just doesn't help at all i think it's interesting i think it's just doesn't in the actual fulfillment of playing the game it just feels really really bad and i also think it's interesting and maybe i'm completely off base but so i'm curious as to your perspectives on this in most other games i've played if you use a tutor it then shuffles your deck afterwards i feel like gwent is like the only game where if i play oneromancy it like picks the card out of my deck but the rest of my deck stays in the same order so things that are on top are always on top if they would either shuffle some of those cards in or with something like Onero, if I pull a card, it shuffles the rest of my deck. Feels like that just makes more sense from a, a card game perspective. And I might just be, you know, thinking old-fashioned physical cards that I have to shuffle because I now looked at my whole deck. Yeah. Uh, I don't have that much card experience, card game experience, uh, at least digitally. So I wouldn't know. But yeah, I can see that being a thing. You have one good tech for Colgrim, which is Maxi. Maxi allows you to reshuffle your deck, which could be a good counter. But it has the restrictions of being a neutral, so you have to break devotion. And it, even though it's a six for five now, it does it does take some commitment from a deck building perspective. Um, but yeah, um, it's a huge issue for the game, I think. I'm not sure how they're going to address it, if at all, but... The it's way not as if they can delete the archetype, is it? So maybe they'll just nerf it into oblivion. But that's the thing, right? There's so many cards. Are you going to change coded weapons? And mm. you're going to change Viper Mentor? And you're going to potentially change Colgrim? And like to your point, there's so many cards, you can't just remove them all from the game. So you either, yeah, nerf it into oblivion or find another way around it. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem because let's start with the positives because there are some if you may not want to see that but yes there are some positives of this deck existing cynthia is seeing playtime mm -hmm. uh infiltrators are being played uh asira found another niche yep so it enabled several underpowered nivra cards to see play that's a positive uh, another positive is it has a very alternative win con you don't really care about uh having the last say you don't really care about card advantage because you can rely on colgrim generating the points for you so i i would say these are the positive sides of the deck existing but there are so many negatives and mm -hmm. uh, it's difficult to counter because even if you include all the cards that you need in your deck there is no guarantee that you are going to draw them yeah that's the biggest problem with it, right? I can counter that deck all I want, but if I don't draw those cards in the first 10 cards or I don't have a tutor for them, there's a good chance I just never see them. Mm. And I think it's interesting now that the meta has shifted and we're seeing a lot more of the, the Nova Cloggers list. 
because I thought the list where, okay, so wait, I have to deal with the Defender, then I have to get to Colgrim, then I have to get to Letho, and he can renew one of those, so I have to deal with them twice. Like, I have to deal with four cards to prevent myself from losing the game, and if those are the only four cards he has in hand, it doesn't matter how much of a card advantage I have, if I can't answer those, I just lose. Hmm. And also the fact that there are various Colgrim lists. Mm-hmm. As you said, there is Nova, but there's also the Kingslayer list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you approach them differently. And I think, I think right now the only faction that can reliably beat Colgrim is Nilfgaard. Because Nilfgaard is always the best against Nilfgaard. Mm. That's just how the faction um, has, been, has been built. Because you, yep. you, you have Vincent to deal with the Defender or with Nova. You have uh, Yenvo to permanently deal with with Colgrim, right? Because if you Yenvo, they they cannot renew it. They cannot use their Kingslayer. And you have Tudors. You have your you have your own Artorius. And if you if you didn't draw your Artorius, well, you have you have Kudagrat to use their Artorius. Yeah. So so there are ways in Nilfgaard to deal with it. You also have Enslave. You have Imposter. You have a bunch of locks. So that's probably the only faction that can reliably beat Colgrim. Yeah. Yeah, because um, it's in not other factions, you have to, to make concessions. Against. Like, I'm running Nature's Gift with Double Lock and Purify, which are really good against Colgrim, but it does mean that you're making concessions and you're playing cards that will see less value in other matchups. You have to pick and choose, but yeah, for sure, Nilfgaard is the only faction that can comfortably and innately deal with Colgrim. Um, and I think that's so interesting too like you were saying Tilpro making concessions to your deck building but if you know that a good majority of your matchups are going to be against Nilfgaard and going to be against Colgrim you don't feel bad doing that no. but it could be a situation too where if you nerf something like Colgrim or Cloggers and you see it less often it might actually end up becoming better because you're going to tech against it a little bit less so it might be in this weird spot where you know changes to it might make the meta a bit wonky um, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what happens because I think it could be a very interesting scenario going forward if it sees less play, but it's still a relevant deck. Yeah. I think the only thing they can possibly do is increase Colgrim's provision by one. I know that a lot of competitive players will not agree with me here because they think the card and the archetypes, the archetype are fine. And I agree that on the competitive level, it is fine. There are counters, uh, there are tutors. You can beat that deck uh, the same way you can beat Warriors or Lippy or any other prominent deck right now. But then you really have to look at the more casual part of the game, which is the majority of the player base. And if all those people are saying Colgrim is not good for the game, probably you have to make concessions and you have to say, okay, competitive players, sorry, this time we really have to side with the majority. Well, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I think from the competitive side as well, it's an unhealthy archetype because any any deck that takes away player agency from the opponent is unhealthy for a competitive scene. Even if you have the text, as we said earlier, for Colgrim, if you don't draw them in round one, not only are you being penalized for not drawing them, your opponent's being rewarded, for example, with a 15-point Viper Witcher off a Masquerade Ball. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it has any value added in this game from a casual scene or from a competitive scene to be honest and i'm very surprised that competitive players have said that they think it's fine 
uh, Shimiri among them, not only on his own stream, on, on this very on this very podcast. I actually yeah. brought exactly the same argument that I think that Colgrim's uh, provisions should be changed to ten. If you would like to do something with the card without nuking the archetype, and he said, "Oh yeah, but that takes uh, away the entire, um, you know, attractiveness, the entire appeal of the deck, because then you cannot use Renew, then you, you cannot use Nova. There's just not a lot of cards you can you can play it with." Yeah, I I just feel like it doesn't need to be a thing, so I wouldn't be opposed to it. Yeah, tough, but <laughs> but it's like it's. I, and I'll go back to that, that casual experience or like the new player experience. The first time a new player plays against Colgrim, they lose just every time because oh, yeah. they don't know what's going on. And then somebody makes a bunch of copies, their deck bricks, they lose the game because Colgrim just crushes them. So it takes like a few times to even understand what's going on and then adapt your play style and possibly tech into your deck. Like there's so much to think about regarding Colgrim and how that interaction needs to work. Because otherwise, yeah, you just play a bunch of bronze units in round one like you always do. They get removed and they end up on top of your deck and you never draw anything good ever again. So on the competitive scene, I can understand the, yeah, you know, we can learn to play around it. We can learn to tech against it. But on the casual side of things, I think it's a lot, a really, really negative experience. Yeah, to, to me, it seems like, you know, you could basically describe Colgrim using an older meme. Like nobody, absolutely nobody, CDPR here have a clogging deck. Like nobody asked for this. Nobody wanted <laughs> wanted this to be in the game. Because yeah, it, exactly. it really reminds you of Mill. It's basically reversed Mill. And For nobody sure, likes... Yeah. Like, other than three people who are consistently playing Mill on the ladder, nobody likes it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, people like playing as Mill, except that they can't win games with it, so they probably like it a little bit less, but... Though, I have to say, originally, when I saw um, the new Viper Witcher and some of the glowing cards, I thought... You know, this, this this could be interesting. You could set up uh, your Imperial Golem, you could set up Tibor, Vilgefortz. You could enable these cards and then here you have Colgrim. And then basically all of these ideas just went down the drain because there's just a much better alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Creativity goes out the window when you have a solid winning list, right? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but do you think it will be changed next month? I hope so. I mean, the mentor will be, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, because they said needs. it was accidental, so it has to be changed. Yeah. I think giving Colgrim one extra provision is just a nice place to start. Let's see how that works. You take one archetype away, which, I mean, again, nobody asked for it, so take that archetype away, and you can leave them with the, if they want to play Letho and, and Colgrim and Defender and stuff, like, see how that plays out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, another thing regarding Nilfgaard that I want to ask is... Um, Regardless of Mentor and Colgrim and the whole package, a lot of people are always complaining about, you know, Nilfgaard being too good. Like, I've heard voices that Kudagra should be nerfed, that Masquerade Ball should be further nerfed because these cards are oppressive for some reason. Do you, do you, actually, do you actually share these sentiments, despite Nilfgaard factually having the second lowest win rate last season? I don't think they should be nerfed. Um, once again, I think people are just sometimes confusing unfun with overpowered. Um, obviously, Masquerade Ball is very powerful. It has a very high ceiling. But it's so expensive that if you bleed it out of Nilfgaard, the deck becomes uh, very weak later on. For example, if you bleed them in round two, you get their ball out, then you pass. What do they have left for round three, apart from maybe a Brathens, uh, a Usurper? If they play Wakim, it plays into Tall Punish. 
I don't think I think it's a good trade-off at the moment. It has a lot of power, but it's a glass cannon. I think it's fine the way it is, and the same goes for coup de grass. Coup de grass most of the time requires requires setup um, by damage. Sure, you can play Fergus, but Fergus can be clunky in some decks. Um, I think they're both fine cards, to be honest. Yeah, I I agree. I think if you take like, Nilfgaard at the end of the day is always going to be the unfun faction. That's just how they were kind of designed. They're going to lock all your stuff. They're going to prevent you from carrying through with your game plan. That's how they always exist. So I think Tilt, you're spot on. At the end of the day, they're always going to be unfun. People are always going to whine after they play a game against Nilfgaard, have all their stuff locked or removed, and then they lose. They're just going to be angry about it because that's how the deck interacts. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think with the way the meta is going as well, Masquerade Ball becomes harder and harder to find a good target. Like you're playing against Lippy and you're not going to be able to remove much of anything. If you do bleed it out of them, which is pretty common, it's you're hoping for a Joachim into a coup and have two tall units on the board and hope they can't answer one of them or both of them. Um, no, I think I think the faction otherwise is is pretty well balanced. I even think an assimilates another great option that can really snowball in points as well. So I think there's a lot of good uh, options out there that aren't Colgrim, and I think that they they feel fairly balanced. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. I think that people are overlooking certain archetypes and are too focused on Colgrim and Ball. Because even even if you are playing Ball, there are decks against which Ball is not going to be out of points. Yeah, for example, we already talked about Lippy. Lippy doesn't really play tall, so seven points is the best you can poison. Yeah. Uh, but there is there is a minor buff uh, to Nilfgaard that I really want to discuss because um, there is a bunch of cards that was gradually getting nerfed and now it's getting buffed again, and it's the Witcher Trio. Is Ox, Serret, and Letho finally worth playing? Because they break um, even on deploy. Without any kind of setup, without any secondary condition, they are breaking even. And you can get some more points plus lock if they are in your hand. I, I didn't even realize they got buffed. Ox is now 6 <laughs> for 6. Right, they changed the lock. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I think it's getting to becoming playable, but I think for the most part... Um... The trio is still very awkward in terms of having the cards in your hand. It could maybe see some play in tactical decision because you have more hand manipulation. Maybe you could also add, add a snowdrop to help with that. The problem is um, we're in a meta now where there's a lot of mid-range decks. Decks that have a few engines, but they also have a lot of point slam. So I don't think the trio is that good unless it's against really heavy engine decks where you're um, get, get, getting rid of a lot of value. For example, I had a game yesterday against the Witcher Trio, actually. Uh, they locked my Keldar, they locked an Adapt. Fine, lock them, but I have a Witcher Trio, I have my Scytheman, I have my Leo, I have my Vesemir. I don't care about those um, cards in particular. Whereas if it was a year ago and you're playing Priscilla, Visigota, um, what other cards were there? Dandelion. Dandelion. If, they, if you lock those, you're very sad. But the yeah, for, for me, the meta has shifted into a place where there's a lot of mid-range now and not just pure engines, in which case I think the Witch Tree would find more value. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I think just what they do is too limited and then the fact you have to have them all in your hand at the same time becomes a little bit more difficult. And there are certain matchups where, yeah, they just won't really see value at all. So even if you have them, you kind of feel bad about it. 
Plus, we don't, I mean, we haven't really seen an, a Nilfgaard-specific Witcher archetype because all of the Witcher cards are typically going to be played in a kind of clogger sort of deck, so you're not going to include things like Leo and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, the secondary effect of... I keep on forgetting what their names are. Is it Orcs? Um, lock everything on board? Yeah, that, that's very niche, isn't it? Yeah. It used to be I can see it being played against Harmony, but in this current, maybe you're, if you're playing against Revs, it could be decent with Draug, but it's very rarely going to be um, effective, is it? You if can you... play it on Young Dryads, but you can purify. Uh, it used to lock everything in deck, hand, and graveyard. Whoa, did it? Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Everything. Everything. Every every copy. Every, okay. Every copy, uh, so if you play a bronze, you lock it, if it's in your hand, the other copy is in your hand or in your deck, okay. it gets locked as well. Hmm. I, I almost... Because it's carryover, right? Yeah, I almost feel like that isn't overpowered, really. I, even, like, something as simple as hitting, like, a, I'm thinking, like, a Northern Realms drummer or something, you know? You would always kind of get some sort of value out of it, so I don't actually think that would be overpowered right now. So yeah. maybe that's the next step, you never know. Absolutely. Mm. I, I always enjoy, like, when, whenever they buff one of these three cards, I enjoy adding them to my deck to see uh, how they play. And of course, eventually I always decide they are not really worth playing. But right now, for their provision cost, they are not half bad. They used to be much, much worse. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, sure. Letho is 8, Seret is 7, Ox is 6. Mm. That's 21 provisions. You are play you're playing 21 for 21. Plus, you can get a lock and an additional... An additional five points on top if you have them in your hand at the right moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but um, moving, moving, moving on from Nilfgaard, because there isn't really much more to cover. I, I think Pikeman got buffed in the same fashion that Trep did, and yeah. it's it's not really relevant. I think I I don't I don't expect Pikeman to see play. I just no. want to jump in there one quick second because I don't think they're going to see play, but I do like again that style of change to the card i mentioned it with the the trebs and this as well like adding bonded to it i think it's just a nice creative way to make these cards better without just saying oh let's just up the provisions by or down the provision by one or up the power by one so i like the creativity of it and i hope they continue to do that going forward because i think at some point um you know it'll make uh, it'll make that difference yeah so i think i think that a better way to approach this would be if you have a soldier on the board you know ping card on any unit and in case of trap if you have a machine on the board for instance mm. and that would make it a little bit more appealing to play pikeman with ramon for example because then mm -hmm. you have a guaranteed soldier so you have an engine that's going to work yeah for sure but you know that that's just an idea and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not something cdpr haven't heard of they, they probably thought it's it's not really worth it right now and they want to take smaller steps to see how it how it works in the current scenario it's funny because that effect would be more beneficial in Northern Realms because you have Adalia, you have reinforcements, you also have um, mobilization that would help with that bonded effect. Whereas in Nilfgaard, you only have the two from your deck plus Ramon. I yeah. think, yeah, I think it would find more value in a Northern Realms mm -hmm. deck or if it was a Northern Realms card. Sure. I mean, mm -hmm. you have Trap with bonded, and yeah. obviously, it's it's obviously better than Pikeman in Nilfgaard. They're still worse than the uncredited longship that I absolutely despise. 
it's it's the card it's the card I hate the most other than all really? these counter decks. Yeah, uh, it's it's you know it can ping multiple times per turn if you are playing something like create because you are you are, you are playing multiple units per turn. Uh it requires five point removal. Uh so you cannot just joust it. They can tutor it with the raiding fleet. They can res it if they want. Uh, it's it's a pretty good card. Yeah, it is definitely. And it's also a Colgrim tech. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And initially, when when uh, SK warriors were more popular, um, people were playing the Ancrate longship just because Colgrim started to be a thing. So yeah. they would basically play uh, longship. Adrenaline three, I would say just just the turn before you expect Cold Room to be played. Yep. Yep. Um but we are taking this patch faction by faction, so uh let's move to the last faction, the last group of cards. Uh Syndicate. We haven't really seen that faction a lot in the in the in the past few months, but no. now finally Madame Louisa has said enough and she decided to leave <laughs> the Elder Bear Club. So a uh, good change or 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 not uh, impactful enough? Do you think sh- her ability should be just reverted to what it used to be? Yeah, good change, but it's not enough to make Syndicate more viable. Um, yeah, as I was saying earlier, they could revert her to her original state from her inception, and it still wouldn't be overpowered because there has been so much power creep over the past year and a half since the Novigrad expansion. I think it would be just fine. Um, so what is it? It's Louisa, which is nine provisions, plus Avola, which is nine provisions. Um, so essentially, if you play the tribute, it's six plus six plus 11. So it's 23 for 18. Yeah, but if it's you compare not that, only you compare Savo, that you also you can do from Skilliga, which has a similar ceiling for fewer provisions. I don't think it's an issue. Uh... You can also play her with uh, Timboy Tim- and Moriusa. Yeah, well, Timboy is kind of niche. Um, it's very I, I rare mean, that both rows are fully stacked. That's the thing, right? Timboy is, I mean, not bad in this meta because, you know, you've got Lippies and you've got um, SD Elves and stuff like that. So you're going to see some full rows. But yeah, very rarely is it worth the extra coins to hit the other row as well. So yeah, I think that Moriusa would see more play here. I think it was Moriusa that um, tribute destroyed the unit, something like that, or boost itself by its yeah. death. I, 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 I never play. I only play Nilfgaard. Yeah. I rarely see Syndicate these days, so I don't even remember what the cards were doing. For the most part. Yeah, Moriusa is a 4 for 9 that deals 4 damage, or if you pay tribute 5, or no, tribute 6 I think it is. I think it's 6. It destroys the unit. Let me just check that. Um, See, even Dilbert doesn't remember. So, um, that is a really power crept card, if I'm completely honest with you. That tribute is really expensive. Um, I think that card could do with a buff. Maybe they could keep Louisa the way it is, but buff some of the tribute cards. In a way, it's just a worse Evar. It's worse Evar. It's also worse Heatwave most of the time. Why would you run Marils and have to pay six coins when you can just Heatwave something? Yeah. And and you can also heatwave a scenario. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. I think at this point she's fine, but the supporting cards are lacking. So I think 
I think you leave her the same way and you look at some other cards within the faction to boost, especially because with these changes, we have seen no real change in, in the amount we've seen uh, Syndicate played. Like, you run into one every once in a blue moon and it feels bad and they probably lose the game and then, then they're sad. So you probably want to look at buffing some additional cards and maybe leaving Louisa the way it is. Yeah. Also, from a design perspective, it leaves you more design room down the line to include more tribute cards and things like that that don't, um, you know, become a little bit too overpowered. Definitely. Um, one card I really like is the Salamandra Mage. Oh, yeah, that's actually that the next a, question. That is a really strong card. It's not in a good faction, but if Syndicate sees more play, that card will be a problem, I think. It has a really nice ceiling. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, um, when they featured Salamandra Mage in the thumbnail of the Deathstream, I thought, oh wow, uh, that's, that's a new card. Are we getting new cards? What's going on? <laughs> and not only me, also somebody else on the partner's Discord thought, wow, wow, apparently we are getting a new card. And then somebody said, guys, it's just the nope. Salamandra Mage. We already have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it was the Salamandra Mage, and there was another one too. The, the t there was two of them they released with uh, Way of the Witcher that just saw zero play. I mean, most of Syndicate saw zero play after Way of the Witcher, but... Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Syndicate has the problem that it's the most complicated faction to play. It's the most demanding faction to play. Uh, so w I feel that when it was the strongest faction, it was justified because uh, you can completely ruin your game plan by just not knowing enough about the faction and and, and how to convert coins in, into points. Uh, but now, now it's just power crept. Yeah. Now it's yeah, just not worth have, playing. You have to keep this balanced because you are dealing with coins. You have to make sure... Like, it's, it's another thing for the devs to balance at the same time as, um, you know, going and creating the cards. So I think it's another one of those situations where you err a little bit on the side of caution because you're afraid of the coin snowballing, and then you end up creating things that are actually underpowered, and you just try and... You're always playing catch-up trying to fix them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, if you if you just look at the first season after the expansion, Syndicate is basically, if I play this and then do that and then convert this and spend this and that, then I will have a lot of points. And on the other hand, play the EDV. That's generating even more yes. points. Yes. Well, yeah, and, and that, the, again, the plan makes perfect sense. If I do this and that and then trade these coins and then do this, then, yeah, I'm going to win the game. Except locks exist, heat wave exists, um, you know, all that kind of stuff just ruins your day. And one thing that Syndicate really suffers from compared to other factions is um, hand consistency and not drawing your cards. Because you not only have to have this balance between your golds and your bronzes, you also need your spenders, you need coin providers. In, in a game where there is already draw RNG, um, it is exacerbated by the, you know, all the coin management in my opinion. That's actually a really, really great point because you can draw all your golds, but if your spenders are all bronzes, then you still probably lose the game. Yeah. And this problem gets highlighted by the very sheer existence of Colgrim, where yeah. you are not really going to draw the cards that you need. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, because like the main tutor that they have is Vivaldi Bank, which looks at X amount of the top cards of your deck, and Colgrim makes that card completely useless. <laughs> Let's look at all the junk I put back. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it when it comes to the balance changes. Or is there anything else you guys would like to discuss? Because we went faction by faction, 
we discussed the most important changes. It's impossible to discuss all 61 of them. So I'm actually surprised that during the dev stream, Ryan and Jean actually took the time to discuss all of them. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I like this. I think that they talked about how big 61 changes are, and I agree that 61 changes are a lot of changes. I just hope that this is a more regular occurrence and they continue to spend the time buffing some of the less used cards, even if it's just a little bit. Like, let's just give this an extra point. Let's just reduce this provision by one. Let's see if the card gets played a bit more. I feel like if you do small incremental changes, it's very unlikely you're going to see something go from never being played to completely overpowered and, you know, dominating the meta. So continue to give, you know, multiple lesser used cards a little bit of a buff and let's hope that down the line that kind of helps uh change the meta and, and work them into actual viable decks yeah especially when you look at uh bronze cards four or five provision changing one point or one provision there has significant impact on the card's playability look at uh, nozika sergeant when it was five yeah. provision nobody played it when it's four provision it's included in every single Nilfgaard deck yep yep it's funny, isn't it? Where before we were complaining about Nilfgaard having really bad bronzes, but now we have Sergeant, which is probably one of the best 4P bronzes in the game now. Um, yeah. But we used to have Sergeant for a very long time. They they only nerfed it when they decided that they wanted to keep Portal intact, and instead they wanted to limit the number of cards that it could pull. Yeah. Which to me yeah. was... like I have to say, that was completely wrong. That was not the right approach. You don't no, you, you, you don't yeah. nerf a dozen or so cards into Oblivion just to preserve that one gold. Yeah. One card, yeah. It's like solely nerfing um, Overwhelm and Hunger and not touching V, for example. Yeah, Yeah, for instance, yeah. Um, mm. So uh, that's it when it comes to balance, but we have still a lot of ground to cover. So let's start with the journey. And I think we could we could play the journey trailer first because uh even though i assume almost everyone has seen it uh it's still a nice trailer mm -hmm. cdpr does a phenomenal job with all of their trailers for i mean gwent specifically they Recently, all look great I've often and, i mean the game itself looks great so they really have very talented artists watched her struggle watched her transform from an unloved deformity into the powerful yeah. beauty that is Oh, you shall regret standing in my way. Give yourself a shockingly stunning treat as you play. Progress and unlock wicked new styles which let you customize Yennefer, as well as many other awesome vanities to collect. Return each week to see a new scene from her life unveiled and delve with me into my dreams of her journey. You crossed the wrong sorceress! That is a good trailer. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, guys, first thoughts your take on uh, on the character selection and uh, and the new story format because that's that's what changed this time around right we we used to have a proper journey a written journey but the devs said it's too time and resource consuming so now it's going to be a visual journey so uh, your take on that guys 
I mean, I don't think that many people read the actual journey story. So I, I do prefer this change, to be honest, where it's more visual, more um, easy on the eye. Maybe it's different for you guys, but I never read this story. Yeah, I was not. I, I would try to. It just never really caught, piqued my interest. I don't know why. I like the visual aspect, just the way that I think Slama was explaining it on his stream was that it would be like a comic book style. So I was expecting there to be like maybe four different scenes per week or something like that. I didn't realize we were getting one image per week. So I would have liked to have seen a little bit more content from them from that perspective. But um, but yeah, I don't I don't mind the change. And to plug two people who I have no affiliation with, uh, Lionheart and Foxbride are doing something really cool on YouTube where Foxbride is actually writing out some of the lore about Yen and uh, Lionheart's reading it. So check that out oh. if you want, if you're missing a bit of that story aspect. I, I agree with, with you guys. I, I didn't really read the previous uh, stories. I read the first one of Geralt and Dandelion, and I felt like mm -hmm. this is not something that's in the books. It wasn't mm -hmm. borrowed from the novel, so I so I, I felt it was worth reading. And then um, we had Ciri and Vesemir, and that was basically copied from the novels. So it was, okay. it was a massive spoiler if you haven't read the books yet. So I started oh. and I thought I'm not, I, I read the books previously, but I, I'm planning to reread them. So I'm not, I'm not going to bother with the journey. And then Alzor, I was completely disinterested. I, I feel no connection yep. to Alzor whatsoever. There is very little information about him in, in the actual lore. Uh, he is only mentioned a couple of times in the books and that's it. So, so I even like when Alzor came out, I even considered not buying the premium journey. Yeah. See, I thought Alzor was funny for me from that perspective because I was like, who is this guy? Maybe I'll read through some of it. And then I never got through it. But I thought it was just different because I'm like, this is a unique character. I kind of, I don't hate this idea. Like yeah, this time yeah. around, I'm, I'm stoked about the journey. Like really just yeah. having, I, I, I know it's going to sound like I'm simping this journey like crazy, but I... I'm a huge fan of Yennefer, and uh, yeah, me I'm, too. I'm really happy that they added her uh, as a journey character, especially after um, the initial comments made by Slama on his stream where he said, yeah, we thought about that, but then the problem is if you do Yennefer, then, you know, the uh, Triss theme is going to be upset because it's not Triss. And so how do you uh, how, how do you tackle that? Do you just introduce three characters or two characters in the same journey? And then I, I when I first no I know I, I noticed there was a change in their thinking when Busha was on the show and he said nobody cares about Triss. And that was the point <laughs> I knew. That was the point I knew. Ouch. They Ooh. are going to uh, introduce Yennefer People on are gonna get their <laughs> Yeah, yeah that is you don't say that out loud. No, you oh, don't. you do. You if, think it, but never say it. Yeah. If you read the books, there is no way you're gonna like Triss. <laughs> That's just how it works. I just feel yeah. like that probably means that Triss's journey is next, or if they're alternating male female to somebody else, and then we see Triss after that. But she's—I don't think she's far away, whether people care Absolutely. about her or not. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. I think we are going to see a little less known character because that's what they have said. They—they they want to alternate them a little bit. So now we have Jennifer, then probably somebody less known than probably Triss. Okay. But I've always, I always thought it was weird to have Elzior from a financial perspective. No one really knows him. No one really cares that much about him. So I, I was a bit bemused when I saw the Elzior journey. And I think overall it's been the least well-received. 
So, I mean, in, in the Witcher games, right, there are so many characters, big or small, that people can relate to. So I'm surprised they don't just go through all of those characters first. And there should be enough characters for a good few years, I'd say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We only have, yeah. what, four, four journeys a year? Yeah. Actually, we had yeah. three last Even year. Even for a decade. Because, uh, I mean, I prefer someone like Zoltan, for example, than Alzior. It's someone you can relate to, someone mm-hmm. you've seen in the games. Absolutely. Yeah, I was quite bemused to be honest. I know that they want to probably develop secondary characters or characters that weren't seen in the games, but... I think I what they bemused. were trying to do in Alzur's case is um, sort of prep work for the expansion. Because Alzur was, yep. was one of the mages involved in the creation mm. of the Witchers. So first yeah, we yeah. got the journey, okay. then we got Alzur as a card, and then we got the expansion. Yeah, yeah, he ties in nicely to the expansion, right? So that that could very well be part of it. And I think that as CDPR as well, if you're trying to tell a story and you're trying to include new characters, not new characters, but you want to include some of those fringe characters because you have more freedom to kind of tell the story you want to tell as opposed to, well, if we go with, you know, Yen, we're going to follow the path of the story that's maybe already told. So from a creativity perspective, they want to do something different. Oh yeah, definitely. Because having Yen or Siri or Geralt significantly limits your creativity yeah. and, 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 the way, and the way uh, you can describe their journey. Because either you go back to the times before those characters were introduced in the novels, or you essentially tell the story as described in the novels. So yeah. e- either it's something people are not very interested in or it's spoilers. Yeah. And with Alzor you have a uh, clean sheet. Exactly. Uh, but what do you guys think about the quality of the cosmetics? Because I think that's one of the points uh, that the community was upset about. Personally, I don't really see it, but they a lot of people are saying, oh, there's not enough uh, cool cosmetics. Uh, some of the cosmetics are just recolors. Um, the quality is low, stuff like that. I wouldn't say the quality is low. Um, we have to remember as well that it's relatively cheap, I think, compared to other games, especially. And for the amount of trinkets, uh, cosmetics we get for that price, I think it's just amazing um, how much they fit into it. Uh, I, I like the borders. I like, you also get premium cards, which also have mm-hmm. a cost to them. You have obviously um, the skins, the ornaments, etc. You have the reward points for under 10 euros. That's great. Uh, okay, sure, there isn't a lot of variation between the skins, but. There's enough for it to be noticeable and appreciated, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a few little things like, okay, yes. Do you need a regular hood and a gray hood? Yeah. Probably not. But in the grand scheme of things, if you boil it down to like in in North America, it's like 10 US dollars for the whole thing. Between the keys, the cards, the kegs, the actual model itself and all the other trinkets. It's not it's not that big a deal that you get two hoods that look pretty similar especially since it's far more likely you are gonna select a very few uh cosmetics and you're gonna run with them for a long time oh you're not gonna change them every game or every couple of games Mm -hmm. there is gonna be a favorite set and you're gonna use it for a very long time so so i think that these complaints are not warranted whatsoever but there are two things that uh, i think could be done better first of all as you guys already said uh we are not getting a comic book, it's just an image a week. And then this week's image has been delayed. 
So uh, that's kind of on, 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 on the disappointing side, I would say. And there is no demons take you. That's, that's my, my biggest problem with this journey. You have all the, ta all the towns, but you don't have demons take you. I'm upset about that. And I know that people already are upset about that too. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys played in beta, but that was one of the ma ma major taunts. Demons take you. I so it's actually funny that you mentioned this because I played briefly in closed beta and I don't remember that much of it. And I saw it on Reddit and I didn't fully understand the reference. So thank you for that. <laughs> that clarifies <laughs> some things for me. I but actually can. Oh, yeah, go go on. No, I was just gonna say overall the value is so good that you know it, it is very little you can complain about. If you're oh, yeah. a new player and don't even care about the skin, you still should buy the premium journey for the extra rewards you get and stuff like that. Exactly. And the game is already extremely free to play. Yes, let's be honest. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. And Maybe not as much as before, but it's still significantly. To give you free an example, um, not long ago, uh, shortly before the patch, I got this idea of making a proper Nilfgaard starter deck with my viewers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we developed uh, certain ideas, we, we uh, theory crafted the deck, and then I thought, okay, I should just make a new account, make that deck from the scratch. It took me an hour, and it has, you know, far, like, way more goals than the actual starter deck, and way more cards that are not in the starter deck. But it takes you like, an hour. If you know what you're doing yeah. with the reward yeah. points and the trees, it takes you an hour to craft a couple of legendaries, some uniques, some 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 proper bronzes, mm. and this kind of deck can carry you to <clears throat> rank twenty, rank fifteen, maybe. Yep. No, the system is extremely generous, and we have to take our hats off to them. To be honest. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, there, there there isn't really much to add about the journey. I think the journey is great. Uh, you guys happen to agree. The value of it is is on point. There is like really, really some minor things that if you are really trying hard to complain about something, you can find it. Yeah, but and that'll not, always be the case. Yeah, but it's not really relevant. Again, but, I think it depends, right? It depends on what you're looking at the at the journey for. If you're looking, thinking, well, I get a nice yen skin and I get a bunch of uh, rewards, then I'm going to be happy with it. If I have all the cards, if I have all the keys I want, if I have everything else and all I want is the skin, then yeah, maybe it's not worth it for me. But then I don't want this, so then I can be upset about it, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, guys, we have two more, two more questions in this segment because really, it, 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 I think it's going to be the longest episode ever. Thanks, CDPR, for providing us with 61 changes. A lot so of ground content. to cover. It's an honor but, to be on the longest episode. Right? <laughs> yeah, I think the odds are it is going to be the longest episode. I'm not sure because the one with Weevil and... Um, who was on the episode with Weevil? I, I even forgot. It was, it was a long time ago. Uh, but it was, it was like three hours and, and a few minutes. So we, we are well on our way. Um... So the next question is, and that's actually something that uh, Tilbro uh, inclined about before the show, um, the communication between the devs and the player base, right? Because we know that uh, Cheddar Paul left Gwent, we know that MacBeard left Gwent, and one of the reasons they cited is there's no roadmap, there's a clear lack of vision, there is no communication with the community anymore. What's your take on these allegations? 
Oh, it's a huge shame. And I think it's been the Achilles heel for a long time now, the lack of communication. Um, the thing is, by not communicating with us, they're not giving us the opportunity to have faith in their product. Uh, and in a situation where the meta's, you know, unhealthy, unenjoyable, if you have a roadmap, you could say to yourself, right, I'm not enjoying the game at the moment, but I know that in X months, there's going to be this patch, in X years, it's going to be whatever, and so on and so on. It gives you something to look forward to. It gives you some hype, which I think is necessary for games. Not excessively, but you need some excitement to keep you going. Having none of that and having no communication, you ask yourself, why should I invest my time as a streamer in this game when I don't know what's going to happen? I'm not I surprised think... that some people have left or have been cutting hours on Gwent, which is a and shame. I... And I think that's a great point because, and I, I will advocate for this, if you're not enjoying the game right now, like don't force yourself to play it. And I know that's hard as a content creator to say, well, I'm going to stream something different. But if that is what's going to help you and, and allow you to enjoy the game more when you come back to it, great. But I think to your point, Tilt Bro, you know, you don't have a roadmap. So you say, well, I'm going to stop for now. I'm going to stop for this month. I'll come back next month after the patch. And then they announce, oh, sorry, there's no patch. And you go, oh, <laughs> yeah. so am I not playing next month again because it's going to be the same thing? You know, without that roadmap, you can't easily say, oh, well, I know there's a patch coming or I know there's this change coming or I know this is an expansion coming, whatever the case may be in a week, a month, however long it is, I can plan around that. And I can say, I'm going to take a little break now. I'm going to do something yeah. else, but I know I'll be back in X amount of weeks. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, I agree with you guys. And I, what, what I fi find really problematic is if you, as a content creator, approach one of the devs, whether it's Papa, whether it's Ryan, Anna, or even Jason, Vlad, whoever, they are going to tell you what their plans are, most likely. But it's not public information. It's not being shared through public channels. And we can actually... I know I was really ranting about that uh, a couple of months ago when they uh, didn't even announce there's not going to be a, a January patch. They... they it Basically, somebody inclined about that on Twitter sent a tweet to Pavel Buja. Hey, um, what about the patch? Oh, yeah, it's dropping this Monday, but there is no balance. And, you know, I know that there wasn't a balance patch in the previous years previous years on in, you know in that specific month but it's not you know widely known no, information know. Like, if yep, you are a newer yep. player or or if you really don't follow every single piece of news coming from cdpr you simply don't know that mm. so you are seeing v all, all month long and then you think okay the patch is coming and then two days before the patch through a retweet you learn that there's not gonna be any balance changes in that patch so i think that's really really bad when it comes to like the overall uh overall uh vision and, and their communication with the player base because they they promise us every few months people will say guys there is not enough communication we are out mm. of the loop we don't know what's happening they say oh okay, yeah yeah we know that we are going to improve and they don't do that and I understand, I understand why it was a problem when they only had Pavel, because Gwent is growing, the player base is growing, there is more and more content creators. We have probably close to 300 Gwent partners right now, so one person can't handle it all. But their, their community management team has been growing in the recent months. So why have all these community managers been MIA? Why are they not active on Twitter or Reddit or or the forums? 
And I think I think you you bring up a really good point because they're good at communicating when somebody inquires or somebody asks a question. I don't think anybody can knock, you know, I regularly see um, Vlad responding to things on Reddit. He's there often. You see the responses on Twitter and things. But I think that they also need to grasp that you need an official communication channel as well. It's great to say that we're active in the community. Fantastic. I have no problem with that. I, I love that. But you also need to say, say that, you know, if Berger responds to something on Twitter, well, he is representing the company and that is official-ish. So if that's going to be the case, you probably want to tell everybody and not just somebody who happens to see that retweet or Slama having his like fun streams in the evening. Like those are great. But when he says things on there, you know, people take it as he's a representative of the company. He's now saying something that may affect my enjoyment or my interaction with the game. That should be now announced on an official channel or in some way, shape or form, you know? So it's yeah. that that dual layer of communication. You can be really hands-on with the community, but you also need a strong structured communication from a, I guess, from a corporate level, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Because really, I find it, maybe not ridiculous, but I find it very problematic that, you know, certain content creators know way more than the other content creators and know way more than the community overall. It almost sounds like somebody's playing favors. I know they're not, yeah. but simply because some content creators are more uh, motivated to chase after certain information, they mm -hmm. are going to get access to that. Whereas I think we have this partner's discord. So if there is some minor updates that you don't think the community should know, but you feel like you should at least tell your partners, use a discord channel. Or if there is anything planned that you think you can just give away, we have Reddit, you have your own website, we have Twitter, just do that. There is three com there is three or four community managers now. There is absolutely no reason for them to go silent for a couple of months. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the partner Discord is a perfect example of, you know, a way to start trickling down information. You know, you start with the partners and then to the community. So those little updates and things like that, even, you know empower the partners to be representatives of the company as well. Announcing the partner Discord, yeah, guys, we're probably not going to have a balance patch at all this season. If anybody asks, now you know the answer to it, at least. So you give yeah. different ways to communicate and have people involved in the community, which I, I think, again, helps represent that really hands-on feel that you want to have within the game. And it's, um, it's beneficial for both parties. They can distribute the distribution of the information and the content creators, the partners, are empowered to do so mm -hmm. and can feel more relevant in the community. Uh, yeah, I can't yeah, exactly. see any issue with that. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so that's something for them to consider, I guess. You, you have the stuff. Mm. You, you have a group of 300 or so partners right now. There are so many channels to use. Just use them. Um, moving on because before we end this segment, you know, uh, it it kind of connects to the whole uh, communication talk. Uh, what are your expectations from the eight point three patch dropping in twelve days? If I'm not mistaken, maybe or ten days. I don't even remember. Uh, you know, especially after certain comments made by Jason on his stream, uh, like you know, dozen or so Maddox come into the game. What do you expect from patch eight point three? What does that even mean? A dozen or so Maddox? <laughs> That's what he said. I, I, I don't know what that means. 
Uh, does that mean a dozen new cards? I guess. My I my no thinking, uh, and that's probably wishful thinking, is that if you look at the last year, end of March or somewhere in March, and then somewhere in November, we got some leader changes. So mm -hmm. I think maybe they are going to reuse twelve of the leaders that were removed from the game as cards. Maybe that's maybe that's the case. Maybe because they have, I, they have I all honestly that don't know. Use. Yeah. yeah, there was even some artwork right that was teased for the previous expansion that never got used. So they have oh, stuff yeah. floating Mega. around out there. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I think I think that would go a long way. I think something that Gwent has always been good at is a pretty regular. Pa balance patch that happens typically monthly and a lot of times you know it would change the meta enough to keep it fresh for another month and then yeah every three months or so you change some leader abilities keep it fresh because you have other card games and other digital card games that well here's your expansion he enjoy your meta we'll change it when the next expansion comes out and gwent doing that every six months isn't feasible for them so you know if they're looking at smaller releases of content or you know, little drips throughout the periods between expansions. I think that's a nice way to keep things fresh, keep people engaged, and, you know, from a content creator perspective, have fun ways of creating new content. I can make a new video about a new card. I can talk about that on stream. We can talk about it on a podcast. So it, it continues to engage the community instead of just saying, well, you get new cards twice a year. Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually the case before Midwinter. So, you know, back in the old beta days, we used to get a couple of cards every month or every other month that that was simply how it worked there was no big expansions midwinter was the first expansion and it failed miserably in many aspects people were unhappy so you know maybe that's another thing they should look at that you know for example dropping an expansion in december is not exactly the right timing but they know that i think they know i think that's one of the other things that slama said that you know, two expansions a year is just not enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and understanding there are limitations that maybe they can't drop a third, and that's fine. But finding creative ways to go ahead and add additional content, I think, is is perfect. Again, something a roadmap would probably help with if you knew that new cards were coming at this time of year. Yeah, exactly. If we just knew what's happening. Yeah, instead of, and again, we talked about it before the communication. So instead of knowing for a fact that it's on a roadmap, we're going to gather some information from Sama's stream and gather some information from Reddit and gather some information from a tweet from somebody and hope to put it together. Yeah, you could, you could say the content creators in Gwent are basically hunters, gatherers. <laughs> you gather information or you hunt it. That's one way to put it, yeah. yeah. But it, it's just so unprofessional, this communication system that is currently in place. Um... You know, Everything I would accept so it if they didn't with, say with so many times they're there. going to improve it. <laughs> I'll be okay with that, really. If, the, if, if that was the first time it happens, I'll be okay with that. But they just said so many times, yeah, guys, we want more transparency. We want more communication. We are understaffed. It's going to improve. It did improve and still nothing happens. Yeah. And you can't really say, oh, that's because of the management. Un un unless in this case management decided you know well guys there's been so much negativity around cdpr maybe you should just not say anything for a while <laughs> which i be, you know thinking no news is good news i feel like it should be the other way around when things go sideways you should over communicate to try and kind of compensate for that and re-engage folks who may have you know had some concerns about whatever that is the hacking or the anything else 
Yeah, and, and I think overall, if you look at Gwent right now, this is the only truly negative point. Like balance changes that, okay, there are 61 of them, there is a lot of things. Meta has shifted. Gwent is playable, Gwent is fun to play in many, in, in many scenarios. Uh, the journey is great, but there is just not enough communication. That's it. That's the only thing I we can really complain about right now. I I completely agree, and I've I have played a lot of card games, and I have played a lot of digital card games, and I've I've touched on a lot of different things, and I think from an overall experience, Gwent is is great in almost every way. And you know what? As if I was a casual player, I probably wouldn't notice as much either around the lack of communication and things like that. You just expect once a month to be a balance change and, you know, an expansion pops up every now and again. But I think being a content creator and being more involved and playing the game regularly and, you know, waiting for new content, that that becomes evident that you're lacking some of that communication. So maybe it is just a question of that partner's Discord gets used more or they change around the partner system to sort of disseminate information that way. Um, like, I don't, I don't know that I have the answer, but it might be, you know, something very simple, or you might want to come up with something a little bit more in depth or complex, depending on, you know, how you plan on fixing the problem. Yep. Exactly. I actually think, um, this is going to be pivotal for Gwent as it goes forward, uh, in terms of communication, in terms of content roadmaps, because last year it was quite chaotic, wasn't it? With cyberpunk, with the mobile releases, with COVID. So any um, shortcomings from their perspective could be, um, you know, forgiven. But this year, I think they've got less of an excuse if things go south. So I'll be very interested to see what Gwent's future looks like as we progress throughout the year. And hopefully um, we'll have more, yeah, more constant updates at least, if not more content, just so that we can be invested and, you know, just you know, retain a, a bit of hype for the game when things aren't feeling that enjoyable. I think one of the reasons, or maybe the main reason why the community may be less forgiven this year is back in 2019, the team invested a lot into the game. We got four expansions, we got regular content updates, and then they probably over-invested. So in 2020, they had to scale down a little bit, especially considering COVID, and and the um cyberpunk failure so people were uh inclined to forgive and say okay we know what the circumstances are it's okay this year but now that we have the journey out now that we have gwent on mobile and now that we know all these things uh, are creating a steady revenue stream there is no excuse for the team not to invest that money back into the game Definitely. Yeah, and I think I think yeah, last year needed to be a transitional kind of year with COVID and people working from home and and things changing and all that kind of stuff. And I think now, hopefully, you know, twenty twenty was that transition and partially planning. Okay, what are we going to do going forward if this doesn't change? If we're all still working remote? If you know all of that is still going on? How are we going to address the game going forward? So I think at a certain point you need to be able to say, all right, last year was you know a challenge. This year it needs to be a little bit more, uh, just a little bit more structured and streamlined. And to be honest, they should have just done it somewhere in January. Just say, okay, guys, this is what happened last year. This is what we want to do this mm. year, and it's going to be better. And this is why it's going to be better. Instead of, yep. you know, some bits of information here and there, and then basically Slama doing a roadmap, roadmap stream on its own, leaking mm. away whatever he can. 
But anyway, guys, because we are we are slowly, um, you know, getting into that negativity part. Uh, I, I think I, th I think we should we should uh, hit reverse and, and, and move the other direction. So um, let's talk a little bit about competitive Gwen because there's also a lot happening there right now. And yep. the first thing I would like to talk about are the qualifiers. So um, the first qualifiers are tomorrow, top sixteen. Uh, what are your expectations? Because there is major news. Like it it came uh, it came out yesterday, I think. That uh, Sinchin Lion has been banned again. Uh, yep. So, what are your expectations of, of these qualifiers? Well, we'll be exciting. I'll be supporting my teammates, obviously, uh, Tailbot, Bart, and Iluha. Uh, I'm really happy that they're deciding to officially stream the final stages. I mean, it's official, unofficial. That we are going to talk about that in a moment. Well, I saw it on Twitter, so. Uh, it is like yeah, they they officially announced that Lionheart and yeah. Dia are going to stream, but yeah. the stream is not going to be held on the CDPR. Uh, okay, channel, my bad. Yeah, which is weird in my opinion. Yeah, you could argue that definitely. Because I think that if it was held, like if the qualifiers were held on the official channel, it would attract way more people than mm. it was spread across. You know, Diaz and Lions channels across two weekends. Yep. Agreed. I mean, any esport cries out for exposure, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't you tap into your own channel? I mean, it's it's great for Lionheart and for Dia because it's going to yeah, get no, a lot of viewers of course, to their channel. But they also get more exposure through casting on CDPR's official channel. So exactly. They can mm. get used to the format because I assume that if they're casting the qualifiers, at some point we are going to see them cast the actual um, tournaments like when open. So maybe that could be a good opportunity for them to get used to the setting and 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 the um, and the crew working on the tournament platform and all the tech side of of the competitive scene. Yeah, I think like to go back to communication. It's just not clear why they're doing it that way. And it might just be a, um, you know, it might just be a question of they're going to go and test the waters and see how this goes and stuff like that. Um, so that's a possibility as well. Um, so Flake apparently says in chat, it's not on CDPR Twitch because CDPR isn't producing it. But that could be, again, going back to that, you know, it might be a good opportunity for them to do it that way so that they can learn the ins and outs of how it works. But Again, a decision probably made at a higher level that we are not fully privy to. No. But regardless, like like you're saying, Tilpro, it's a great opportunity. Um, it's a great opportunity to go and just give first further exposure, you know. And yeah, it probably won't get the same amount of eyes as an open or the Masters does, but it's still you know players playing at a high level, getting more exposure as well, who they are, how they're playing, and gets the game more eyes if somebody wants to watch high level competitive play. Definitely. And what's your take on the um, prize pool distribution? Because I think there there have, have been some tweaks to that. Because last year it was more evenly distributed among all participants. Now it's more uh, top-heavy, so to say. I think the general um, opinion has been negative in that regard. Because in tournaments there's a lot of RNG factors and they felt that you're sort of punished if you don't 
um, advanced to the later stages as much, somewhat unfairly. I don't really have an opinion myself because I've never really been in that situation, but from what I've heard, it's been rather negative in that aspect. Yeah, I've, I've heard the same thing, and it's hard for me to say because I haven't been there either. On like On paper, it seems like you win more, you make more money, which seems perfectly logical to me and doesn't bother me. I guess till you know, you're saying that there's some RNG and whatnot in those matchups. So I can understand that being a bit frustrating when you get a bad draw, you get a bad matchup or or whatever the case may be, and it costs you a bunch of cash. But inherently win more, make more money makes sense to me on paper. Yeah. But uh one argument I remember hearing is that it becomes more difficult to be motivated to go to an open, to go to a masters. If you know that you have to go into the final and, and or win it to get a decent amount of money, you start saying to yourself, is it worth the time invested? That's, because that's fair. That it's not, a big commitment. It's a big commitment to go and let's say spend a weekend, not to mention all your prep and everything leading up to that weekend to go into it and say, well, I only make money if I finish in X amount top places or yeah, if I make it to the finals or whatever the case may be. I mean, let's be completely honest. You can be a great player, but if you don't draw your goals, yes, <laughs> sure. If you're a good player, you can mitigate the effect of not drawing those goals, but you're probably going to lose. And to lose out on so much more money than last season because of that would be quite demoralizing, at least for me. I think even I'm... last season, the the, the price pool was not significant Im- amount for many players to get into competitive gameplay because as you guys already said it's a huge commitment you you basically yeah. spent a couple of months trying to get to the tournament and then preparing for a tournament so i assume that you don't really have a day job in that time so you are living on your savings hoping that you are gonna win enough money to let's say survive another couple of months so that you can win more yeah um yeah it's not a great career plan yeah, it doesn't sound like it. Um, but moving towards uh, a more positive topic, um, community-based meme tournaments, because we are seeing more and more of them. Uh, I rather enjoy them. I, I, I like all these uh, rule sets. Like alphabet tournament, that was absolutely insane. <laughs> uh, so what's your take on that? For example, the, the last tournament that you, that you, that you uh, cast partially, Christo, Kree uh, versus Bandits. Do you, th- do you think we should see more initiatives like that in the future? Or do you think maybe CDPR should get involved as well and just create a meme tournament? So the one thing I'll say about the meme tournament from a CDPR perspective, because I think, I think for the most part, if they continue to focus on the actual pro scene and let, let the teams, let other people organize kind of the memes and things like that. The only thing I'll say about CDPR is the partners tournament that happens, I don't know, every few months. It would be great if they introduced some sort of meme series to that because most of the partners are content creators. And when I played in my first partners open, I brought some fun decks that were kind of half memes and not really serious. And I got crushed by like tier one meta decks. Mm. Like that's not, at least that wasn't what I was there for. Um, Especially because you don't, I don't even think you win anything. So it'd be fun if the partners open was, was kind of that meme sort of, uh, sort of mentality or special rule tournaments, things like that. But we had such a yeah, we had such a blast casting that tournament and running that tournament, um, the the Kree versus Bandit attorney, where, you know, you've got, like, one series was neutral decks, one series was, yeah, alphabet, it had to be, like, whatever it was, A to M and, and whatnot. It's just fun, it's creative, you see cards that aren't normally used, but the cool part about it is a lot of that structure didn't make 
meta decks completely irrelevant, but it changed a good percentage of cards in them. So you see stuff that you would normally see on ladder, but then you see all kinds of surprises and tweaks and, and changes. And we did it closed deck list as well. So you see um, whatever leader, and then you see all sorts of surprises that you weren't expecting because you can't build the deck the way you want to. All right, fair point. Um, so yeah, especially in regards to uh, Gwen Partners uh, tournament, I think that could be something because when it comes to like the top competitive gameplay, we already see that during the qualifiers, we already see that during the opens and the World Masters. So I think Partners should be a little bit more lighthearted. Mm -hmm. Just just, because... just involve some sort of special rules that, as yeah. you said, you, you don't make the meta decks irrelevant, but mm -hmm. you really create an environment where non-meta cards can still be played with a successful effect. And let's face it, there's quite a bit of disparity between the skill level of independent content creators. So yeah, if you have a meme um, theme, it would sort of mitigate that disparity and make it a bit more entertaining, a bit more fun. Instead of seeing this guy with his meme creations getting, you know, thumped by a sweaty, try-hard content creator. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, is there anything else we want to cover when it comes to the competitive gameplay? I don't think so, right? Because these are the first qualifiers starting tomorrow, I think. Yep. Mm -hmm. Then top 64 next weekend. And next month, too, bro, your qualifiers as well. Yeah, so I'll be playing next weekend, Saturday, and hopefully... Sunday. Oh, it's actually next weekend. Yeah, because... Uh... Yeah, it's next weekend, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it'll be I... over two days if I go the whole way, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully you are going to make it. Um, yeah, but yeah, moving to the next segment, guys. And that's actually the last segment. Because we've been on for two hours and 40-ish minutes. That's a very long show. Um, the personal Q&A. Only a couple of questions before we end the stream. But, um, you know, we always like to ask some more personal questions to, uh, for, for the community to um, get to know you a little bit more. So the first question is... Um, Chris, during his stream, Slam actually said they are uh, already interviewing some content creators to cast the official tournaments, to expand the caster team. And I've been wondering, are you one of them? I cannot confirm nor deny. <laughs> That's actually a complete joke. No, I was not one of them. But Slam, if you're watching, hi, <laughs> call me. Because I'm I saw here. you cast a couple of tournaments. I think you are doing a stellar job. So uh, CDPR, awesome. you, you know where to find him. You know what? Well, thank Chris? you so much. I have. Uh, I. I honestly really, really enjoy um, casting and and doing all that kind of stuff on on this side of the camera. Like ninety three, doing. Um, they call it the war room, but it's basically like a sports pregame and postgame show for the cards open tournaments, which I think is a really cool idea as well. So kind of that blend of casting and like sports casting and analysis and stuff is is just so much fun for me. So I I really enjoy that. All right. Um... Next question that we have also for you, uh, your friendship with Flag, because not everyone knows that. I mean, they <laughs> should by now, but you are actually a close friends with Flag. So what can you tell us about your friendship? How, how did it start? And, and, and did it impact, um, you know, you getting into Gwent or maybe it was the other way around? Maybe you found Gwent first and told Flag about it. So I have known Flag since we were five or six years old 
Um, we both grew up in Montreal together. We met, I don't even know, in, in elementary school at some point we bumped into each other and, you know, became the best of friends talking about Star Wars and all other nerdy things alike. Um, but we, we really got into card games together, I guess in high school at some point, but we had, um, kind of a neighborhood card store and we were playing the Star Wars customizable card game it was like the first card game we really got our hands on. Like we would go there after school and on weekends and just sit down at the, these long folding tables they had in the card store and play cards all day. And, um, you know, that developed from multiple different card games to digital card games. We played Hearthstone together. Um, and then... I actually started streaming Hearthstone and did that briefly before um, I wanted to lose my mind from an RNG perspective. And um, I was watching Flake and he was casting or casting and, and streaming Gwent. I was like, you know what? It'd be cool if I at least learned a little bit about this game um, so that when I was watching Flake stream, I had some idea of what was going on in the game. And um, and so we did a couple co-ops together and I, I learned the game that way and absolutely loved it. Um, just because of how different it is from every other card game out there. You know, you don't have a life total. You're not attacking each other's units and things like that. Um, and that's kind of how my my Gwent journey uh, began. All right. And is that somehow connected to you being the recurring guest of Gwent Trivia? Or is it completely unrelated? No, that's that's recurring. That was... So behind the scenes, Mark Theus at 983 had uh, had done Gwent Trivia with Flake in the past years ago. I think it was Team Rankstar related, actually, when it first happened. Um, and then I've been doing a lot of stuff with 983. So we, the three of us just kind of got together and said, hey, it'd be really cool to revive this. Um, so I'll put that out there. And uh, that's how I ended up being recurring on Gwent Trivia. It has nothing to do with my Gwent Trivia knowledge. You can watch me lose every second Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern on 983 TV. Including today. Including today. We have Fox Bride and Specy on the show. Yeah, it's it's gonna be exciting. I, I you know, I watched a couple of shows previously and I thought I know a lot about Gwent because of my Witcher background, me reading the novels and whatnot. And then some questions, ah I was clueless. So obscure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but moving on um uh, to, to you till bro, uh you have a very unusual name. Why, why too, bro? Uh, I thought it sort of fitted my personality when it comes to Gwen. I succumb to Tilt occasionally because of misplays, not drawing my cards, being high-rolled, etc. And I knew I wanted to go into um, content creation. So I thought I'd, you know, get a recognizable name that people can remember quite easily. Yeah. And that's it? I mean, I did see you tilting quite a few times. Oh, yeah. I mean, of course, it <laughs> was totally toxic. It was totally justified. <laughs> I, remember, I remember that play when you said you, you were playing against Assimilate Novgrad, I think. And your opponent oh, played. Oh, yeah, the high roll. Your opponent <laughs> played Yoahim, and you were like, oh, Yoahim is never enough. And then it was Yoahim into Angulem, into the totem. Exactly. And it was yeah. just way more than they needed to win the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was like the icing on the cake. For that <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was your last stream, honestly. It was. I, I, did, I streamed once last month, but uh, yeah, ever since that stream in particular, I've been focusing on, um, you know, the competitive seasons and, you know, finishing top 64. Um, because as I said earlier, it's, it's really hard to multitask between interacting with chat and tryharding, especially at higher MMR levels. So I take, yeah, I did take that conscious decision to 
focus on the competitive side. But yeah, I'll be back next um, next month for sure. Or so, or so you say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the last back. question, and it's actually uh, for both of you, and and I. It took me so long to come up with this. I, I just did. I just couldn't draw the connection. But you, um, Crystal, you live in Quebec. Dobro mm -hmm. lives in France. You both speak French. Have you guys ever thought of putting out some French language Gwen content? Never, actually. Never crossed my mind. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll flip through Twitch and, and check the French channels just to see kind of who's playing. But um, no, I've, I have not put any thought into that. Um, I like the current setup. I, the current setup I have, which is uh, the default language is English. But if someone who's French asks me a question in French or wants to, you know, converse with me in French, I'll switch to that language. A bit like um, Alessa used to do. He was a member of TLG from like a year and a half ago. You used to have um, a bilingual uh, stream as well. And I think for the most part that works. Um, but yeah, I've never felt the need or the desire really just to make French specific content simply because the audience is a lot smaller. And I don't know, it just never really appealed to me. And on, on top of that, I play the game in English. So I'd have to learn all of the cards in French, learn, you know, all the technicalities, uh, what specific words meaning French, like in terms of bleeding, in terms of dry passing. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like, that's a huge aspect of it for me as well. You know, yes, yeah. I speak French. My first language is English. I play the game in English. So it would be learning a lot of the terminology and then, you know, creating content in a second language, which I'm going to totally steal your idea about doing a bilingual stream. So if people do want to ask me questions in French, I'd be happy to answer. But yeah, I think, I think I'd continue to do the English bit mainly and then Hey, if there's a demand for it and people are coming and asking for it, then maybe that's an option as well. But I think I definitely need to open myself up to the idea of it. Just beware, if you add the French tag to your stream, I'm totally gonna just go to your chat and say omelette du fromage all the time. <laughs> of course, I wouldn't Perfect. expect anything less. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing Perfect. that in Dilbro's channel every single stream. I know. You're not the only one, that's the hilarious thing. <laughs> when anyone thinks of French, I just think of omelette du fromage. Yeah. <laughs> That's too funny. Uh, honestly. Okay, guys, and that was the 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 actual last question of the podcast. So now we are uh, heading into the shameless plug territory. So starting with you, Christo, uh, where our viewers, uh, if our viewers are willing to, you know, check out your content, where can they do so, and when can yeah. they do so? Absolutely. So if, uh, you know, our lovely viewers and listeners want to come hang out in Christo's cafe, you can find me pretty much everywhere at the one Christo. Um, so that is Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube, the one all spelled out Christo. And, uh, I stream Tuesday, Thursday evenings, Eastern time. So it's probably quite late for any of you Europeans. Um, and then usually Sundays during the day at some point. So I mainly stream Gwent. May slip in a little bit of cards or Mythgard every now and again. You can check me out, Gwent Trivia, every second week on 983 TV. And uh, come give all the Bandit gang some love as well. Mm -hmm. So lots of uh, Bandits hanging around. I see Weevil in chat. So, uh, and Zubies everywhere. So come hang out with the Bandits. You can find our Discord and TeamBanditGang.com. I think I covered it all. All right. Dilbro. Yep. So if you ever want to see a tryhard, a sweaty tryhard, sometimes tilt. Uh, you can check me out at TiltBro93 on Twitch. Uh, as I said, I'm not streaming at the moment, but I'll be back in March. 
If you want to see my schedule, you can go on to Twitter and my Discord. All the links are in my Twitch channel. Um, I'll be looking to stream three to four times a week. I'm not sure on the schedule yet because I've got, you know, in, role, in real life stuff to also commit to. But generally, I stream around 7.30 CET in the morning. So for Americans, I think that's, I think, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock at night. It's a bit late, but I usually get a lot of uh, Europeans and Asians in my channel. But we always have a good time. Uh, sometimes I make misplays, sometimes I don't, sometimes I tilt, sometimes I don't. But, <laughs> it's, you know, it's all good fun, right? <laughs> all right. Um, I'm not really going to promote my channel because you are already here. But as always, I'm going to remind you that if you want to uh, stay in touch off stream, you can follow us on Twitter at Novigrad Podcast. You can watch all previous episodes on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Merchants of Novigrad. Uh, this episode, same as every other episode, uh, is going to be uploaded onto that platform as well as Spotify and a bunch of other websites either tonight or tomorrow. And with that being said, Chris, Dilbro, thanks for being here. Really, really appreciate it. And thank you uh, to our viewers for hanging out today, uh, asking questions in chat, saying trying to talk to us i i really appreciate it um no idea when the next episode is going to be as i told you we are now officially a show of certain frequency but i can already lick you that we have we have plans to invite another cdpr employee in the near future Ooh, so uh, you know follow us on twitter for more info uh so once again everyone thanks for being here thanks for chatting with us we'll see you next time Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. See ya.